Team Satomi's this year's brand new IG-1 team. They still have a few kinks to work out. Takeshi, stay focused! Satomi must be the most disorganized team I've ever seen! Well, maybe more than a few. Never mind, Lenny. We'll be lucky just to survive. The first Toonami original in a special one-hour series premiere. IGPX. The race begins Saturday, November 5th at 10. Are you out of your mind? Only Toonami. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Anime Bebe, where the only thing standing in our way is on 180 miles of track. This is your host, living every day a quarter mile at a time, Mikey, and joining me as always is... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> What's the... You gotta write some of these down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this series didn't really inspire much in me for an intro. <laughs> I'm about, um... <laughs> yeah, you gotta be clever like me. I went with the Fast and Furious reference. It's like a layers of references there. You didn't fucking watch Fast and the Furious. I've seen some of the films. Poser! Poser! <laughs> <laughs> the Rocketing Dynamo, your co-host, Ryan. There you go. And welcome back to Summer of Toonami. Oh yeah, last time we kicked off the summer with a Toonami classic, but now we're gonna keep things rolling with a Toonami original. The very first Toonami original anime, The Immortal Grand Prix IGPX. A series that has its place in Toonami history, yet kind of similar to Outlaw Star, kind of fell by the wayside and doesn't really, in my opinion, get the appreciation it deserves. Well, Outlaw Star still gets referred around way more than IGPX. True, true. But it's also kind of one of those things where it's like, you're never going to find people just talking about it, really. No, this is not an anime that comes up in casual conversation. No, not really. But, of course, let's start things off with a little bit of the background, as IGPX has uh, quite the history here. As uh, in our Toonami History episode, we covered various uh, total immersion events, you know, the little serialized shorts that involved stories about Tom and Sarah, you know, on the Absolution fighting blobs or getting trapped in hyperspace. But in 2003, the Toonami crew decided to go into a different direction for the next event, as they wanted to do a completely original anime micro-series, and this one is also called IGPX. Toonami head Jason DeMarco got the idea when uh, the crew was planning for their fourth Total Immersion event, and his idea was to go to a studio, find a pilot that they're working on, and then pitch that pilot as a micro-series, premiering uh, one five-minute episode a day for five days. And with the help of Bondi Entertainment, rest in peace, the crew was able to get in touch with Production IG, a studio that we're no stranger to on the podcast. And won't be strangers to going forward. <laughs> oh yeah, we're well acquainted with them. 
and the studio had just that idea. So, from September 15th to the 19th in 2003, the IGPX micro-series aired. Uh, have you ever, did, did you ever see any of this? Ah, uh, no, not really. Completely missed past me. Ah, uh, yeah. It, it was probably one of those, like, blinking-you-miss-it kind of events there, too. Year 2038, one sport is played the world over, where giant robots with human pilots battle in the ultimate test of human endurance. Six robots, two teams, one victor. It is called the Immortal Grand Prix. This year, an amateur team will shock the world and change the way the game is played. Here we go! Because in the IG1 Grand Prix, winning is everything. Cartoon Network is proud to present a Toonami original five-part micro-series, IGPX, premiering September 15th at 6.30, right before New Dragon Balls. Only Toonami. And that's Kinda weird, too, because I was a religious watcher of Toonami back then, and I completely missed out on it. Yeah, just like, yeah, kind of same here. Just must have been one of those off weeks where I was, just wasn't tuning in. Either that or maybe as a, or maybe when I was younger, I just heard like, oh, sports robots? Oh, there's the word sport in there. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Though it was much different than uh, what IGBX would become with the full series, as this series involved pilots operating giant mechs, getting into gun battles as they're a part of big combat tournament. <laughs> and it was a rousing success, so much so that Cartoon Network actually ordered a full series based on the Total Immersion event. And even a lot of the character names and concepts would actually migrate from that series over to this one. Like, if you look at, like, character names, like, you see a lot of similar ones, you like even similar team names, too. I mean, it was pretty much a glorified pilot when you think of it. Take the pilot, chop it up into segments, like, send it out. Yep, full half-hour special just to showcase an idea you got. Yep. But, uh, yeah, the one thing that didn't make it over was the gun battles, and instead the series would have its mechs race roller derby style. Mmm. In makes, makes some sense. <laughs> insert uh, roller derby joke from King of the Hill where they don't know what the rules are. <laughs> <laughs> See, your blockers stop the other team's jammers. The pivots can block, jam, or counter jam. Only the pivot or jammer can score. But how do they score? No one really knows. I mean, I don't know which I would have preferred in the end. I mean, I guess we'll never really know what could have come from, like, gun battles like that. I mean, looking at the pilot, because I watched a bit of it before doing the podcast, like, the gunfights, they're just kind of like robots fighting with guns in big open fields. It looks very gun to me, so they probably thought... Nah, maybe we can go into a different direction here, because we already have a Gundam here. Yeah, that, that does kind of sound like been there, done that already. And uh, this change here was actually made by series director Mitsuru Hongo. Yes, the same Mitsuru Hongo who directed Outlaw Star. Oh yeah, back-to-back Hongo series on the podcast. <laughs> this one's for you, Hongo. Just, just, just like I drew it up. I didn't realize that until afterwards. <laughs> Shut up, you don't know. Just a happy little coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Hongo wanted to move away from guns to racing, which was uh, something he was obsessed with at the time. He was really all about making a racing series, you know. Maybe that Space Race episode of uh, Outlaw Star was just him testing the water, seeing if he can do this full-time. And he was actually brought in to work on this because of his work on Outlaw Star. You know, Jason DeMarco and the Toonami crew really loved what he did with the grappler ships and that. And they felt like he's someone who knows, like, mechs and giant fighting robots. And they were like, we want a piece of that. We want him on board. 
and he was more than prepared, Hongo was, as as soon as he got the call, he had designs and concept art ready to go for the series. <laughs> he was just waiting for this moment. And also, funnily enough, he actually based a lot of the mechs in the series off of, like, different kinds of cars, like Lamborghinis and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, you can absolutely see that in oh, the yeah, designs yeah. in the series. I mean, I'll be getting into that later, but yeah, I do like the uh, robot designs in this show. And so, Cartoon Network and Production IG's original anime was underway. And while co-productions aren't really nothing new in today's era, especially Toonami co-pros, uh, this was a novel concept back in the odds, because you wouldn't think, like, Western studio known for producing, like, the cartoon cartoons, you know, like Edda and Nettie and the Powerpuff Girls, deciding, you know what, we're gonna team up with an anime studio, the studio that brought us Ghost in the Shell, no less, and we're gonna do a completely original series just for our fun little anime action cartoon block. Like, completely unheard of. Yeah, no, there's nothing like this had really been attempted at that time. And even more novel is the fact that the crew on the American side of things were very much hands-on with the project just as much as IG was, whereas today, you look at co-pros with, like, Funimation, Crunchyroll, it's more like, okay, we'll bankroll you, and then we'll just get exclusive rights to stream it. Mm -hmm. The Toonami crew and the folks at Cartoon Network helped out with work on, like, scripts, concept ideas, storyboards even, like, they were trading back and forth, communicating with Japan, with Bandai being kind of a liaison between the two. And they would also work on how the series would be presented on Toonami, because technically there are two different versions of IGPX that aired. There's the production IG cut, which is about a couple minutes longer, features a full OP and ending, and tends to be a little bit more uncut, you know, you can get a little bit, get away with some more swears here and there. While the Toonami version is cut a little shorter to accommodate for commercial breaks, because shows here are like about two minutes shorter than shows that air in Japan. And also that means having a completely original opening and ending, editing scenes a little bit to fit the timing and kind of get to the point a little bit more quickly. But also a big change is that Toonami would have its own original soundtrack for IGPX, which features Toonami's uh, trademark electric hip-hop beats from uh, Ninja Tune, the <laughs> studio that does their uh, their music for the bumpers and everything like that. Mmm, nice. So, like, if you if you watch the Toonami edit of IGPX and you listen to the background music, you can you can feel like a, a promo is about to start that's gonna, like, tell you about the show. Like, very <laughs> Toonami-style promo. Yeah. And another thing, since this aired on Toonami about a month after it aired in Japan, the crew was able to fix some uh, minor issues, some, some minor errors here, such as adding dialogue where there was no dialogue, despite the fact that we see lip flaps moving, or uh, fixing the sound effects to give them a little bit more oomph. Like, it's subtle, but it's like, it's it's a it's a nice touch if you watch the Toonami cut. Mm, right. And as uh, mentioned before, Mitsuru Hongo, the director, he was also lead scriptwriter, but... Uh, Jason DeMarco and Toonami co-creator Sean Akins were also credited as writers from the show. Like, they were very much hands-on in the story department alongside Hongo and uh, his team of writers. That must have been a proud moment. Like, yeah. actually having your name attached to like, a writer position for a TV show, for an anime. Yeah, and, like, looking at Jason and Sean's careers, like, we talked about that in the uh, Toonami History episode. But, like, guys going from, like, being assistants and interns and developing the small block to, like, working as writers for, like, this original series, like... I mean, at that time, it must have looked pretty dang cool. Yeah, like, I can see them being just over the moon, just, like, doing this, or, like, when they got the call that they were gonna write on this, like, you know, they're wearing hats and their hats just, like, fly up into the air, they're just all like, <gasps> yes! <laughs> <laughs> and they even helped work with the uh, ADR scripts, too, to, you know, adapt it to English, alongside uh, Dave Wittenberg and Christy Reed. And the dub itself, it was recorded at uh, Bang Zoom Entertainment with uh, Eric P. Sherman as ADR director. I don't think you really can get any more hands-on with, like, a dub, like, with this one. No, like, there's another show we'll get into a little bit later that is uh, probably as close as you can get to being very hands-on with the dub, but, like, 
other than that, like, I can't imagine really like anything like this nowadays, really. No. Like, even with the Coke Pros. Everything here just seemed like really just in sync production-wise. Production-wise and also just like, you can feel this is like a passion project from like not only HomeGo but also like Jason and the Tsunami crew. Mm-hmm. Like they really believed in the show. Now I might differ, now near the end I might differ as to like, the, as to what the uh, impact was of all that though, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess we will uh, cross that bridge when we get to it. And so uh, IGPX aired on Toonami across two seasons from November 5th, 2005 to August 26, 2006. And if you're wondering where that is in the Toonami timeline, that would be right in the middle of the Tom 3 era before they shifted to Tom 4, aka Face Tom in early 2007. <laughs> and the series here actually had a bit of a tumultuous history, like not only during when it aired, but also after it aired. As uh, originally banned, licensed by Bandai for a home video release, they lost the license after that company went belly up, along mm-hmm. with a lot of the other other shows. Yeah. And sometime later, Cartoon Network would actually make IGPX a tax write-off, making it so that it would never air on TV again. Like, you can't even put it on streaming. It was just like, we're dusting our hands clean of this because they felt the ratings just didn't really reflect the work that was put into it. What a fucking shame. Yeah. Like, it's also happened to like a lot of other Cartoon Network shows, too. It's always sad when a show just kind of like producer just says like now nah, we're we don't like what you're doing here so we're just gonna completely write it off and you can't do anything about it yep pretty much dead in the water yeah yeah and like not only those shows but also another one that still hurts to the say megas xlr that's been written off mm-hmm. can't do any more with that no matter uh, how much we want it yeah and uh, also after around the time after the series ended they even had its own uh video game an <laughs> igpx ps2 game back in the late uh, 2006 2007 i've seen footage of it it does not look good <laughs> Uh, I mean, as far as licensed games go, it's... Presentation-wise, they did as well as they could, I think. Yeah, like, I feel they did the best they could within the realms of being a licensed anime video game for the PlayStation 2. But does that make it a fun game, though? No. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd try it. I would try it, but I would... I, I have serious doubts I would actually like it. It does not look like an enjoyable experience. I feel like I would, I would find ways to have fun with it in kind of a... So bad it's good kind of way. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I cannot see myself casually playing the IGPX video game. Yeah, but it's it's definitely one of those that came in. Not only is it a licensed anime game, but it came in like late in the PS2's lifespan because by yeah. that point the PS3 was already out. I mean, licensed anime games in particular are so hit and hit or miss too. Yeah, especially nowadays. Well, yeah, it's still remaining, to, still to this day, anime licensed games are hit or miss. Like, I, I still don't believe people who say that the Demon Slayer game is actually good. I'm just like, is it really? Yeah. Like, are, the, are, are those Naruto games actually as good as you say they are? I look at all those games and I think, like, yeah, I might have fun for, like, an hour or something, but am I really going to, like, dedicate that much time to it? No. You know, will I really love Dragon Ball Z Kakarot? I don't think so. Eh. <laughs> if I want to, if I want an abridged retelling of DBZ, I already got Team Four Star for that. Yeah, but the series would eventually see new life as uh, they were able to get past the write-off status, as the series wasn't 100% owned by Cartoon Network. So, thankfully, since it's partially owned by IG, they were able to legally find a loophole to get it back and uh, able to like air it and also get it on DVDs. And it would get another run on it on Toonami during the early years of the Adult Swim era. And eventually the license would get rescued by our good friend Big Daddy Discotech. <laughs> uh, they got a remastered DVD release in 2016 complete with both the production IG and Toonami cuts of the show. And also it's a series that is starting to find like 
its like niche audience right now because like more often than not the series would get like sold out either on like discotech site or right stuff or like anywhere else like it kind of became hard to get after a while I mean, well, if it's only being so sold in one place and it's this one bit of history that, like, otherwise is, like, just treated as though it never existed, then, like, I mean, that that doesn't really surprise to me that it would sell out. Mm-hmm, yeah, and, like, it fits perfectly well in, like, discotheques, like, catalog of, anim- of really obscure anime that only the biggest nerds would be into. A place that will publish anything. IGPX is one of those yeah. things that's right at home. <laughs> And by the way, you can get your own copy on Right Stuff right now. It, it absolutely is just anything. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, we're not sponsored by Discotech or Right Stuff, but uh, we could be. Hit me up, Mike Tool. <laughs> please, oh please. I am, I'm willing to sell out for you. <laughs> I will see you at Oticon and tell you, please let me sell out to you. <laughs> we're cool. We're cool. We're cool. I, I can be your Seth Rollins to your Triple H. <laughs> and so... That brings us to the series itself. Summer Otsunami continues with IGPX, the Immortal Grand Prix. Yuri Grand Prix. I think it's pronounced Grand Prix. Yuri Grand Prix. So without further ado, let's start the show. In the year 2049, the world's most popular motorsport is the Immortal Grand Prix. Two teams of three pilots, 60 miles in track, speeds upwards of 350 miles per hour. The Pro League, the IG1, the world's most elite teams compete for the ultimate prize to win the IGPX. For Takashi and Team Satomi, this is a dream worth fighting for. This is the future of sport. This is the IGPX. First things first, the opening and the ending for the production IG cut. The opening is Go For It by Grand Rodeo, and the ending is Believe in Yourself by Exige. I hope I pronounced that right. It's so weird looking. Can I see that real quick? Yeah. Exige? 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 I do not know how to pronounce that. So yeah, what do you think of these songs here? 
Uh, honestly, I think the opening track is pretty, like, rocking, you know, gets you hyped up, you know. Gets your blood pumping properly for what is a racing series and fighting series and stuff. But I think it's alright for the purposes it serves, you know, gets across the main characters well enough. And, of course, the robots, which you want to put first, uh, front and foremost. Uh, the ending, though, way too smooth for a series like yeah, it's, this. Yeah, it's, it's too easy breezy for my Yeah, taste. Very, very contemplative, and it's like, n- no, that's not what the series really is. And, like, when you contrast the two, like, the opening, you know, you, you show off the mechs, and you have, like, their pilots in front of them kind of in sync doing what they're doing, but... Like, you're trying to sell the cool factor. Yeah, like, doing martial arts moves and stuff like that, whereas, like, the ending, you just have people standing with their backs to the audiences while their robots just casually stroll across the screen. Like, eh, it's not the strongest ending. No, like, I kind of get what they're going with here, you know, like, you spend the last 20 plus minutes with, like, high-octane racing, you know, you need a little bit of a come down here. But it's a little too, it's, it's, it's a little too contrasting, though, for me. Yeah. Uh, contrast that with the Toonami version of the opening and the ending, as the Toonami version is, uh, just a recap of the previous episode with, uh, narration by Optimus Prime slash Eeyore the Donkey himself, Peter Cullen, <laughs> you know, just saying, like, last time on IGPX, Takashi and the crew did this. You know, just imagine, like, Peter Cullen doing his, like, usual Toonami narrator voice here. While the ending is, uh, Strings by Tommy Guerrero, which is, like, a look. A classic, you know, Toonami electronic beat. And it's also complete with, like, a, a logo at the very end where it says Toonami original production and it's got, like, Tom 3, you know, folding his arms looking cool. <laughs> I'm really proud of that. You know, I, I did like the novelty of just seeing that, you know, just, like, seeing Toonami original just, like, slapped on it as a production logo at the very end. You know, <laughs> I feel like they were proud of that. Yeah, but that, that, did that logo even last, though? Only for this show. Yeah, no, it didn't really go anywhere. Yeah, so... <laughs> They didn't even try to update it with, like, the newer uh, original productions. Nah, not really. They, they should bring that back with, like, new Tom and Sarah, you know, for, like, the next Toonami shows, you know. Can you imagine? Uzumaki, very end of the credits, you just have Tom and Sarah turning to the camera, folding their arms, going, like, yeah. You just like, watched the Toonami original production. It's like, why not if you're this if you're in this deep with these original productions? You know, it's better than the basic-ass Crunchyroll logo. Y- yeah, like, try to put, put a unique spin on it. So, kickoff in the year 2049... Though thankfully not a Blade Runner dystopian future right here. Instead, in this future, the world's most popular sport is none other than the Immortal Grand Prix, or IGPX for short. Uh, what's IGPX? I'll tell you. Two teams of three piloting mechs, racing along a 60-mile roller coaster-like track, reaching speeds of up to 350 miles an hour. But it's not all about speed, as it's all about strength, as fighting with your mech is not only legal, but highly encouraged. And better yet, you can add your own little uh, gimmicks to each of your mechs to, like, give you, give yourself a bit of an advantage. Yeah, I suppose since, like, this is the entire crux of the series, we should maybe uh, explain these rules of IGPX, given that it's a made-up sport. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's roller derby, but, like, on a Sonic the Hedgehog-level track. Well, specifically, it's made up of three rounds. Yep. Where the first round is made up of just, like... Just, uh... Get, get, getting your bearings, you know, just kind of like a regular smooth race. You're just cruising for the first lap. Then in the second, that's when you can start fighting. Yes. And, and then and then from that point on, it's pretty much anything goes. Yep. And then usually by the third, while it's not required, that's when you go straight into just high-octane speed mode. Because the main way you win points in the race is by, like, the order in which you cross your team crosses the finish line. Yeah, depending on when you finish. Like, uh, first place will get, like, five points, and then, like, every place after that is descending points, and then they're tallied up at the very end. 
And and the point of the battles is the hope that you uh, fuck up your opponent enough to where they can't even cross the line or are uh, going to trail behind you. Yep, because uh, DNFs don't count towards points. Yes, right. So, uh, yeah, so you need to know, like, uh, when to fight and when to speed up or, like, send your mech into speed mode in order to rocket across the finish line. And um, you can employ uh, different robot designs and uh, weaponry or minor weaponry, to uh, aid you in the uh, race. You know, nothing extreme. You know, you can't bring in, like, a gun from, like, the yeah, micro no series. guns, <laughs> no guns. Yeah, no swords or anything like that. Although, th- maybe not guns, but, like, <laughs> uh, it seems like some mechs do employ something akin to projectiles, though. Some project- projectiles and some kind of, like, grappling techniques, too. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, it's just straight up hand-to-hand. And also, like, looking at the races and also, like, how they're set up with, like, this track and how everything's just, like, so intense and fast kind of reminded me a bit of the uh, the Wachowski Speed Racer film. Yeah, it does remind you a little bit of Like, that. you look at the tracks from their film and you look at the tracks in there, it's very, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. But this sport is, like, so popular in this world, like, to the point where full cities are built just around IGPX. You know, you get a full metropolitan city and you get a big old racetrack surrounding the entire, like, area. I mean, I've never, I've never had to tell, I've never had to tell like an entire city in a series to like get another fucking hobby. <laughs> <laughs> really, your racing is so important to you that you base the entire city around it. You know, it's it's, it's like a WWE city from like the Scooby Doo WrestleMania. It's gonna film. be like the main econo- economic income <laughs> fucking place. Yeah, you need to have restaurants that sell IGPX burgers <laughs> or go to the IGPX hotel. <laughs> How do you not? How do you not just get sick of it living yeah. in that city? Or, That's no, like the one perspective we never see. Like the people who are fucking sick of seeing these like roads everywhere in the city. You know, do people watch other sports? Do you, does anyone here watch football? Yeah, does anyone like soccer or like tennis? Tennis? Anyone for tennis? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, we get get a little bit of a taste here as we get uh, thrown into the middle of a race, and it gets over the the combat aspect and like the high octane speed as like. More often than not, for the races in this series, you're just kind of, like, really up close into these fights as you're just seeing, like, the background just, like, going, like, a mile a minute behind you. We get over in, like, this introductory scene here is, uh, the man who will be our announcer for the rest of the series. IGPX's leading announcer, Benjamin Bright, played here by none other than Tom Kenny! (laughs) (laughs) Who lives in a commentary box and comments on TV. Tom Kenny. (laughs) No, fucking Spongebob Squarepants. Uh, Yeah, same same thing. Same person? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Tiger and Bunny isn't the only anime to have a Nickelodeon actor play an announcer here. I think we should chill out about this, though. Like, it's not the most far-fetched thing ever to hear Tom Kenny in an anime. What other anime has he done? Ravemaster. Anything else? Eh, nothing really that comes to mind. There you go. He, he's only done two. Well, two that we know of, okay? <laughs> I looked it up. Like, he doesn't have a whole lot of anime acting experience here. He doesn't, like, then again, he. I think he's comfortable where he is. I mean, that's kind of the crux of what I want to get to when talking about the voice actors is, like, this cast is really star-studded for anime, but, like, the reason... Somewhat star-studded, I would, I would argue. Like, mainly reason-wise because uh, anime doesn't pay a whole lot. But thankfully, since this is a union dub, they were able to get in a lot of uh, bigger name voice actors for the anime world. Like, people who have either never done anime or have only done one or two things in the anime world. He's either, like, 
a one-off show like a Rave Master or even a Miyazaki film. That's yeah. It. First time I when I did watch IGPX and I heard Tom Kenny, I'm just all like, whoa, I don't expect... I, you don't hear him every day in an anime. Mm, no, it does come as a slight surprise when you first hear it. Also, but, he, but he blends in pretty well. Very much so. Like, after a while, I got I got used to him. Yeah. Also, not the only Cartoon Network show to have him as an announcer. <laughs> and also just the, another announcing thing that he did in another voice role. Uh, he was the Blitzball announcer in FF10. Ah, like, interesting. Exact same voice and exact same cadence as he does for Benjamin here. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. So, let's introduce our team of rookies looking to ascend to the top of the IGPX mountain. Team Satomi, roll call. First, team midfielder, battle tactician, and all-around sweetest girl in the world, Amy Stapleton, played here by Hayden Walsh, uh, Starfire and Princess Bonnabelle Bubblegum from Adventure Time here. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's no stranger to anime, as, as uh, she's played a... Oh, no, she's done planning. Yeah, she's Nia and Gurren Lagann, Yutaka and Lucky Star, just to name a few. Next, team defender and hot-headed martial artist and someone who loves to quote Confucius. Elizabeth Liz Ricaro, played here by Michelle Rodriguez, a.k.a. Letty Ortiz from the Fast and the Furious films. <laughs> Who's uh, Vin Diesel's wife in those movies. Not really known for animated, taking on animated roles, though. This is her first and only anime role today. <laughs> A rarity here. Yeah, but uh, no, they wanted to actually get her on. Like, she was actually their first choice to play Liz because the Toonami crew, they knew she was big into anime. So they were like, let's get her into an anime, you know, kind of like get her into this world that she really likes. Yeah, she actually fits in pretty well. Like, I was actually kind of surprised by her performance. Yeah, and, like, her and, like, a lot of the other people who have never done anime in this cast, they apparently had to, like, learn on the job that uh, voice acting for anime is much different than voice acting for, like, video games or, like, prelay animation. Uh, yeah. Like, they have to realize, oh, you gotta follow whip flaps, you gotta do timing and everything while still having to act. Must have been a bit of a learning experience for some. Oh, yeah, but I will say they do manage really well, like... They, they, like, slide in perfectly with this cast. Yeah, she was the most unique one out of the entire cast, for me at least. She was the one that was always, like, on my radar whenever characters were talking. Yeah, for sure. And also I'm guessing they probably brought her in because she was a Fast and the Furious actor and this is, like, a racing series. Exactly! Like, it fits. Yeah. Though at the time of the series, she was only in one movie and that was the first one. She wouldn't be, like, a mainstay until, like, uh, the uh, fourth film in 2009. Right. When, which was, like, more of a soft reboot of the series after Tokyo Drift. Oh, but she actually plays a very charming character in Liz as, like, the, the hothead of the team. Yeah, I, I really like her in this. Yeah, she's the standout performance among them. And rounding out our main trio, team leader and gifted pilot who lives life pretty easy breezy, Takashi Jin, played here by Haley Joel Osment. When you walk away, you don't hear me say, please, oh baby. Don't go. <laughs> Sample and clean is the way that you're making me feel tonight. It's hard to let it go. <laughs> oh God, I had to for that. You you never see Haley Joel Osment do do anime. No, this is like one of his first two. <laughs> oh, Kingdom Hearts two era. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like, this would actually have been around the time when he was, like, probably recording for the second game. (laughs) Which, uh, fun fact, he was a senior in high school at the time of this. Oh, cool. And he was in eighth grade when he did Kingdom Hearts 1. (laughs) Uh, Still, that's that's cool to hear, though. That's that gives me something something to work with here. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, Haley Joel Osment, you know, Sora. Sora in Kingdom Hearts. He was also in Forrest Gump, The Sixth Sense, Pay It Forward, AI, Artificial Intelligence. And of course, the Country Bears. 
How could you forget Silicon Valley, though, oh, yeah. too? Keenan Feldspar. Yep, Keenan Feldspar and Silicon Valley. A brief character, but, like, one I remember solely because it is Sora in, like, a Mike Judge sitcom. Yeah, like, if you ever want to see adult Haley Joel Osment live action, you know, what he's looking like nowadays, go watch him in Silicon Valley. He's actually pretty He's actually pretty funny in Silicon oh, Valley. Oh, he is. Like, I looked up... His like, appearance in the series is brief, like, only maybe, like, a handful of episodes. Like four episodes in the series. Yeah, but, like, he's actually quite funny. They he actually, is. They really knew how to, like, actually work with him. Kind of playing, like, the wolf in Schlup's clothing here. Yeah, yeah. He's, like, some, like, he's, like, some, uh, he's, like, some guy who invested in VR early on and, like, makes a whole bunch of money and... He tries to go through with some sort of, like, shady investment for, with uh, Pied Piper in that series. Like, and also just, ha-ha, funny Sora's, Sora cursing in a Mike, Ju- Mike Judge sitcom. Oh, yeah, like, he's a, he's a grown man now, but his voice has not changed in the slightest. <laughs> no, not really. Like, it still sounds, like, his performance as Sora still sounds, like... Pretty close to his like natural voice, but like it's it's it just makes for something he can he can actually put on like a regular like entertaining performance outside of that though. And also like another thing seeing him in Silicon Valley is like he's he's grown up, but like you look at his face, like you know, he's got a beard now, but you shave off the beard, his face has not changed ever since he was a little <laughs> kid. He looks exactly like he did in Sixth Sense. He's honestly, he's kind of like me, where like you shave, where like I grow a beard out, you can't recognize me. As then as I shave it off, it's like I lose like eight years. Oh, same with me. It's like <laughs> perpetual baby face. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think there's maybe one other thing he could have maybe been known for. And it's only because I know that, like, it's been circulated every now and then, but it's, like, I think it was, like, some sort of, like, a cameo. No, maybe not cameo, but, like, a bit role he did in, like, some TV show or movie or something where he played a sperm, like, <laughs> where he played, like, some doctor at a sperm bank or something. And, like, he gives this, like, funny monologue about how, like, shit his life is <laughs> working with sperm all day. If I can find it, I'll splice it here. Future Man on Hulu. That's the name of the series. There you go. (laughs) This is an alternate universe where Sora went down for dinner and didn't get the (laughs) keyblade. Or like, this is where he got sent after, spoilers, Kingdom Hearts 3. (laughs) Sora isn't in our hearts, he's in our urethras. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) May your urethra be your guiding key. Oh my god. Okay, well, there it is for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, this is our main crew right here for Team Satomi. And you know what? I'll, I'll give the creators some credit. I'll Like, this is a low bar to pass over, but like, I'm glad you went with like, Boyd and two girls. Yes, I do really like that. It's it's a small detail, but you know what? It's, it's just different enough. That's a low bar to pass, but you actually like, decided to do that. You don't see that too often. In trio teams. They've also got a cat, too, which also helps drive uh, Amy's mech. Yeah, we have a cat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the rest of the team, Satomi, is made up of mechanic Mark Ramsey, played here by Kirk Thornton. Assistant Jesse Martin, played here by Julie Madinella. Backup pilot River Mark, played here by Steve Staley. And our Zen coach, 
Andre Rublev, played here by Lance Henriksen. Hey! Bishop from the Alien franchise. Hey, not bad. And he was also Kerchek in Tarzan and Fleet Admiral Stephen Hackett in Mass Effect. He's a guy that, like, he's an actor that, like, really gets around, even though, like, even when I saw the film he's known for in the role, Bishop, I'm like... Wait, people remembered this <laughs> about him? Yeah. <laughs> like, th- th- this is it. Like, it's like he got popular off of just this role? I mean, or... being associated with the Alien franchise, I guess. It's like, okay. Maybe, like... maybe he was also just really willing to take on other roles and stuff and just knew how to take his career on the right trajectory. Yeah. But in this series, he actually does a really good job. And I will say this right now, Andre is probably like one of my favorite characters in the show. Yeah, I would say he's one of my favorites, too. And I just love hearing him talk just like that gravelly, very zen voice. You know, if someone talks to you like that, you listen. Oh, yeah. Like, it's a voice I listened to as well when I played Mass Effect. (laughs) (laughs) And again, another person who's never done anime, so he's got to, like, learn on the job how to do this. And rounding things out is our team manager, Michiro Satomi, played here by Kari Walgren. As uh, she's the granddaughter of the former chairman of Satomi Heavy Industries. And while she may be young, she's a hard worker who's got an eye for talent. And she specifically wants to be the manager for Team Satomi as, like, later we find out that uh, her company is kind of, like, going in, like, a different direction than what her grandfather set up. So this team is kind of, like, the only lasting legacy uh, Satomi industry has. Mm -hmm. Team Satomi has just won the IG2, which is the minor league of IGPX, and now they're moving up to the big leagues, a.k.a. the IG1. And Takashi, he's not sweating anything. He's just as cool as a cucumber for the whole rest of the series. Though his uh, attitude here, his uh, lackadaisical attitude, tends to rub some other people the wrong way. One of these people is a team. Team Sledge Mama. Great name. A ruthless team from the U.S. Members include Timma, played here by Dave Wittenberg, Dima, played here by Andre Ware, and Yama, played here by... Look, it's Mark Hamill! <laughs> <laughs> Come again? Join me and together we can end this destructive conflict and rule the galaxy as fanboy and son. No, I'll never join you. It is your destiny. Holy shit, they got Luke fucking Skywalker in this. Goro Majima himself. Oh yeah. (laughs) Joker from Batman the Animated Series. Goro Majima. Yeah. (laughs) From back when the... Yakuza games had dubs. The, the most important role of his career. <laughs> I mean, don't count out Larry 3000 in Time Squad or Sticky Beard in, King, in Codename Kids Next Door. Oh yes, absolutely. Some of his finest roles. Absolutely. And we should maybe cut it off there, because we literally cannot go down the entire list of roles he has taken in some years since. No. <laughs> He's done a lot. Uh, most, most people know Mark Hamill very much these days. Though fun fact, he actually did start his career in voice acting before Star Wars. He was uh, the lead character in the Hanna-Barbera Genie cartoon. (laughs) And he even sang the opening. Oh, how cool. Yeah. Splice. Hot dogging it up, right high on a curl. Not thinking about I'd be meeting a girl. Then wham, I then. But that ball wasn't all. In a bottle was a chick only two inches tall. Out came Genie, and Junior Genie, Babu, Genie. Yes, Master? 
And I'll also splice in the introduction for, like, Yama here, but I do like this intro where Yama and Sledge Mama confront Takashi in the bathroom, and Yama's just getting all up in his face saying, like, you don't deserve me to be here, kid. You just pissed me off. Sup, guys? Hold up. You know, I don't like you. I hate punk kids like you who think they're so good they don't have to take the IGPX seriously. Drives me nuts. Oh yeah? Well, I do take it seriously. Shut up. I've seen you race. Just because nobody's ever died out there doesn't mean people can't get hurt. Great, I'll keep that in mind. Glad to hear it. Because if you're smart, you'll learn to listen to your betters. <laughs> Give it up, rookie. You'll never beat me out there. Thanks for the advice. I don't know why you're so worried about that kid. Yeah, he couldn't beat us even if we decided to play fair. Of course not. But still, the kid bugs me. His attitude thinks he's got the whole world at his feet. Man, those guys are totally uptight. <sighs> yep, Satomi, the young rookie upstarts, and Sledge Mama, the rough and tumble gangster-looking uh, team of the of the IG One. Man, I do like the bit where Yama is like getting up into Takashi's face, and he does a little uh, fake punches to like psych him out. And apparently, the Tsunami crew love that too because you see that shot in a lot of promos. <laughs> so the day of Team Satomi's first race is coming up, and lo and behold, it's against Sledge Mama. And they're going to have their hands full, as these guys don't play by the rules, and they're here to drop the hammer. And sledgehammer, eh, eh. It kind of lost on me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, big thing here is that Takashi's got to learn how to be more of a team player, because up to this point, he's been mostly coasting through competition with uh, little to no help from, from Liz and Amy. But uh, I do want, want to bring up uh, the animation in the series, as uh, leading up to the race, we do get some uh, training bits with uh, Team Satomi here, and I gotta say... Uh, the, the, the animation during uh, Takashi and Liz's little sparring session, it's really good. Like, the animation is very fluid in the show. It is It is one thing I have actually noticed about the show that, like, didn't really register with me before. But, like, yeah, there's actually some, like, extremely well-animated segments to the series. Like, to the point where I think... Chiefly the, in the uh, hand-drawn sector. Yeah, the hand-drawn stuff, because uh, the mechs are all uh, CGI. Yes. But uh, the hand-drawn stuff, I, like... I wouldn't be surprised if it was rotoscope because it was like it's like that smooth. Mm -hmm. it, it does have some some of that rotoscope smoothness to uh, some sections, especially to like uh, scenes of sparring in particular. Yeah, and also uh, the sparring scene kind of goes to show like uh, the level of skills between like Takashi and Liz. You know, Takashi is very good, but he's mostly good like when it comes to a race, whereas like Liz is very good to like hand to hand combat even outside of like the mechs. Playing defense, you know. Mm hmm. So the day of Team Satomi's inaugural IG1 race is here, and uh, l let's talk about like the looks of these mechs here, because I gotta say, these are really cool looking. I do like the designs of the mechs in this series. They they actually look very, they're actually quite well designed. Like, you look at the grappler ships in Outlaw Star, and you look at the mechs in IGPX, you can tell, like, oh yeah, Hongo designed these. But they also have an almost like heavy bumper-like feel to their like uh, parts as well too. That kind of look like they're designed to like slam into other pieces of metal as well. Yeah, and like a lot of the forearms with stuff, some with some of those design elements you would see from like uh like you know like race cars and whatnot. Yeah, race cars with like hot rods, you know, with like kind of like forearms with like bumpers too. Mm-hmm. 
And I gotta say, I love the blue and yellow color combo for Team Satomi's mechs. Like, it's a good, it's a good look. Kind of almost like a Formula One racer vibe to their, uh, to their mechs in particular. A little bit, yeah. And and with Sludge Mama, the one detail I like earlier is like the the fl- the the f- flanging pipes on theirs too. They kind of like invoke a sort of like uh, motorcycle like design to them as well. Yeah, appropriate yeah. since they do come across a lot like a biker gang. Oh yeah, and also we see like how Amy specifically pilots her mech as like we mentioned before. She has a cat piloting alongside her, which is just a thing you can do in this universe, I guess. Yeah. Uh, this is Luca, who is a cybernetically enhanced cat that Amy can synchronize and communicate with. And he's played by uh, Kari Walgren playing Double Duty here. I don't get what the cat adds to the mech. The cat, I feel like, adds a bit more, uh... I feel Luca tends to, like, kind of kind of give, like, another mind inside the mech. Like, you know, think about stuff that Amy doesn't think about in the moment. Okay. Like more, of a, more of a strategist. <laughs> this is, like, one element of the series that is not explained well at all. Like, why is this allowed for, like, certain teams? Why doesn't everyone do this? Like, why why, why is she a special case? Or, or why why is she and one, one other racer in the IG-1 a special case? <laughs> also, there are just, like, cybernetically enhanced animals out there that are have, like, sentience as well. Like, Oh, yeah, because, like, when Luca's in the, in the mech, like, he can talk. Yeah, that's an important element, too. He can talk, but only to Amy. Yes. Only Amy can understand him. Mm-hmm. No one else can. <laughs> so she has to convey everything that Luca is saying for the others. Yeah. And Luca is often the brains of the operation for Team Satomi. Like, he, like, often gets them, like, out of, like, some real trouble later on in the series. It's, it, it's weird. It technically brings the team to four. Technically, but it's two to a mech, so it's fine. I don't know, it's just weird. It's almost like a weird, like, onboard... It's almost like having, like, an extra onboard computer, which, like, I don't know how that, like, evens or unevens the playing field. It's 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 not explained well in the series. I feel, if I have to speculate, I feel like it's allowed in special cases, like, you can, like, in different positions, you know, like, only the midfielder position can have that. Like, if you're front and center and you have, like, an animal, like, that's not allowed. Could you could you technically modify one of these one of these mechs to put another person back to back inside? I think you gotta have like only one human sized person and then maybe one like animal sized. Why are person. pets allowed in this race competition? <laughs> this is fucking it's fucking weird. <laughs> maybe they just saw Luca and thought, "Oh, he looks so cute. We can't turn him down." <laughs> I guess you would feel that way towards that and like one other player in this foot in this giant like Grand Prix. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yes, give me the green light, because I'm ready to go. So Sludge Mama gets onto an early lead while uh, Takashi and Liz bicker at each other, and poor Amy's stuck in the middle of this. And going into lap two, Sledge Mama makes their move, and we see how they fight, you know, going for more one-on-one matchups and bouncing between close combat and attacking from a distance using grappler arms, kind of like whipping these arms out and then going in for attacks and then, like, getting away from them. And also, like, uh, the way it's cut, I gotta say, is, like, kind of uh, puts us a bit into uh, Team Satomi's shoes a bit here as, like, we're being bombarded from all sides, like, you know, kind of feeling all kinds of disorienting, but we understand, like, this is the first race, this is unlike anything they've faced before, so it's gonna be, it's gonna feel, like, a lot faster than what we're used to. And it kind of reminds you a bit of, like, how you hear college athletes moving up to the professionals, like, they always say, like, the game's a whole lot faster now, I gotta relearn everything. Mm-hmm. Team Satomi is momentarily saved by a caution flag, giving them a chance to regroup, get some quick repairs, and fuel up. And this is where we see, like, how, uh, pit stops and cautions work in the IGPX world as uh, once per race you're allowed to have a pit and then 
these like skeleton trucks run by and then they can like do repairs with you on the track while you're still moving. Now the one thing that like confused me though is that like they're still moving along the track when this is all happening, correct? Yes. Well, don't you run out of track then? Uh, they only do it in under three minutes and like the track is like over 60 to 180 miles long so they can get it done really quick. Mm, okay. You're only probably going like a few miles before like you're done it's pretty yeah it's like okay yeah and they're going slow too yeah that should be clarified like it's it's like a three minute break and you're going slower on the track and they get the go signal and surely things will move get better from here right well we uh, smash cut to liz giving out to takashi after the race because they didn't win but they didn't lose either as the race ended in a tie an old-fashioned sister kisser you know somewhere out there jr is loving this but again, like in some sto- in some sports, like one loss or like one tie does not like change the entire tide of everything. Oh yeah, especially like comparing it to like say soccer, like ties are actually fine. Like nobody feels bad after a tie because you still get points afterward, and he still help helps you in the rankings. So Takashi and Liz, they got knocked on their asses and they were like out of the race. But uh, Amy was able to pick up the slack and sneaking into first place, giving them the tie. So like it ended with uh, both teams getting fifteen points apiece. Though Takashi's feeling down about this, though, and he drowns out his sorrows with video games in the park. And he comes across someone who's uh, into the same game as him, someone who is also an IGPX racer. Introducing Team Skylark's leader, Fontaine Valjean, played here by red pill dipshit Karen Strassman. (laughs) (laughs) Had to get that in there. (laughs) And in case you couldn't realize, Fontaine here is super French. (laughs) Though, uh, considering her name is a Les Miserables reference, I just kind of wish she sang all of her dialogue just to kind of keep within the reference <laughs> you know who am i who am i fontaine valjean honestly i don't get much of like a french vibe off of her to be honest outside of like the accent yeah i mean yeah <laughs> really screams french <laughs> but uh she's here to cheer up takashi and uh, give him big old smooches on the head also showing that uh, as a fellow pilot she's got her eye on him and this kind of sets up a big like a big subplot between her and Takashi for, like, uh, most of the series right here. Like, their relationship. Mm-hmm. And also, at this moment, Takashi kind of just kind of wonders, like, huh, why is my... Why are my pants suddenly tighter than they were before? Why does my hair suggestively flick up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Takashi's got, like, this little, like, uh, little cowlick on the side of his head that just kind of, like, pops up whenever he feels excited. Yeah. But feeling rejuvenated, Takashi is ready for what comes next in the IGPX. They're here for a reason, and they gotta prove those doubters wrong. And they have plenty of doubters. As uh, every other team has uh, so much more experience and money than they do, but uh, they got to kind of use that underdog nature to their advantage here. Use that as motivations to fuel them to get past these larger, bigger teams. And they're going to need that for their bounce pack race against uh, Team Black Egg. And uh, unlike uh, Sledge Mama, Team Black Egg, they're more of a defensive-focused team here. But uh, they aren't pushovers, but uh, they're kind of the embodiment of defense wins championships here. And their team is made up of defender Roger Glassstone, played here by Dave Mallow, midfielder Grant McCain, and forward Ricardo Montazio, played here by Eric Davies. And uh, the way we see, like, their defense tactics work is, like, they use, like, a lot of agility, a lot of smoke screens, you know, pretty much avoiding combat at all costs. Like, once they get to that second lap, it's just playing keep away for, like, the rest of the race until, like, that final lap. Like a rope-a-dope stand strategy. A little much, and also kind of, like, using that to, like, make your opponents all the more frustrated to the point where, like, they're completely off their game and they're prone to making more mistakes. Expending energy, too, because, it, like, it's not brought up too much, but, like, energy inside the mechs is also, like, an angle, too, because you want to retain, like, enough for, like, the final section of the race where you are very likely going to want to speed towards the race line. Yeah, because it's not outright said, but, like, 
or finish lot, finish line. Sorry. Yeah, because it's like it's not outright said, but like a lot of like the combat and movements, like it uses fuel. Like the more you move, the more fuel you waste, fuel that you're gonna need for like that final sprint to the end. Kind of wish that was more of like an element though to actually like include for them to think about. A little bit, like maybe you have like a little like uh, little gas meter in the corner there. See but again, I guess it gives you more more free more um more freedom to actually just work focus on animating the fights and making those look cool. Yeah, not having like those restrictions here. Yeah. So uh Takashi and company gotta find a way to crack this egg. Eh? Mm. Eh? Eh? <laughs> the show made that joke, I'm just copying it. <laughs> but to do that, they gotta find the egg's weak spot. You know, find the weak spot and apply pressure. Crack the shell. So they look past all the smoke and mirrors and they gotta hit them dead center, cause like when uh, Black Egg, they're doing their moves, it feels like they're moving all around, but no, they're just staying, like, right in the middle, so they just go straight for the center of, like, the smokescreen and they get the attack in. And Team Satomi is able to come through in the end and get their first IG-1 win. Uh, Takashi and the company, they really scrambled Black Egg. They poached that victory. It wasn't over easy. And now things are all sunny side up. Is that all? Get them all out. Get them uh, all out. Uh, that's it. That's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how else you can cook an egg. So. <laughs> but everything's not all sunny side up, as uh, Michiru's got some bad news that's eating away at her throughout this entire race. The board of directors of her company are looking to sell Team Satomi. Why? Budget cuts, pal. Well, series over. Good run. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> as uh, Michiru informs the team that they have a new sponsor that'll keep Team Satomi running. Aha, we win again. So they got some downtime before their next race, and uh, what better way to spend that than celebrate a certain someone's big day? Amy, it's your birthday. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, Amy. <laughs> Though, uh, like Lisa in that episode, no one can make time for her. Yeah. <laughs> Not even her parents, as they're absent and away on business. Just like Jotaro's dad. I mean, just about, just, dad. I mean, just about every character in the series does, has kind of has absent parents. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Takashi technically has parents, but we never see him. Yeah, but that's weird that we never see his parents on screen in the show. Just like Sora's parents. <laughs> you know, we hear them we hear them calling him down for dinner and then never again. Unlike Sora, though, Takashi does have a sister who likes to annoy him constantly. Yeah, Yuri, played by uh, Stephanie Shea, and she's just there to be a nuisance, but also kind of give him a bit of motivation when any, whenever he needs it. Yeah. But yeah, Amy's all alone, but at least she's got Luca, who, by the way, is now the new face of a new cat food brand, which is their new sponsor. And we see that, yeah, Luca's got his own, like, cat food, and we see commercials of that. Carrying the team with all that cat food money. A lot of money to carry, like, a racing team, too, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people love cat food. And meanwhile, the rest of the team is gearing up for their next race against Team Valstein. These guys are the real big dogs of the IG1 as they're the reigning, defending, undisputed IGPX champions. And people are already pegging them to pull a Tampa Bay Lightning and repeat as champs. Speaking of, Takashi comes face-to-face with Forward, introducing Alex Cunningham Hume, played here by Steve Bloom. Gotta have the voice of Toonami play a character in your Toonami original show here. (laughs) Naturally. Yeah, I'll splice it. teams met at the opening ceremony, but we've never been formally introduced. I'm Team Velstein's lead pilot, Cunningham Hume. Uh, I'm Takashi of Team Satomi. Hmm. 
So, I guess we have something in common. I've seen you here from time to time, on off days. Yeah, I kind of like it down here when nobody's around. Why do you come here, Mr... Call me Cunningham. After all, we're team captains, no need to stand on ceremony. Okay, Cunningham. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Want a prediction for tomorrow's race? Because I got one for you. I'd be willing to bet you and Team Satomi don't even make the third lap. <laughs> I'm not trying to come off like a jerk, Takashi. We're equals until somebody wins, but there's a whole world of difference between our abilities. You've got some skills, but I've been the league MVP for three years in a row. I'm not bragging, just telling the truth. I don't think anyone can beat Velstein with me at forward. <laughs> By the way, I hear you're pretty good with a sword. What do you think about giving me a demonstration sometime? Sure, you got it. Obviously. Then again, you don't know if what I just showed you is my best or if there's more. Do you now? Neither do you, Cunningham. <laughs> Takashi, you're exactly what I expected. I had a hunch about you, kid. What do you mean? I had a feeling that you'd turn out to be a real character. Well, nobody's ever really told me that before. Believe me, I mean that as a compliment. Well, this has been fun. Later. Uh, yeah. Later on, dude. Steve Bloom playing Cunningham. He actually played the Cunningham in the micro series prior to the series. So he was, he was Cunningham throughout both uh, IGPX shows. Oh, nice that that followed over. Yeah. And of course, you gotta have his like silky smooth buttery voice in anything you got. <laughs> So he and Takashi talk, Captain the Captain, and Cunningham seems like a cool guy, though he does come off as a bit arrogant. But he can back it up, I mean, reigning champ, reigning MVP, the star and face of IGPX. Like, he can recognize Takashi's talents, but they're nothing compared to his. Like, he can talk, he's earned it. And also like Takashi, he knows his way around a kendo stick too. You know, he's better than you, and you know it, but he won't outright say it, he'll... He'll let his actions speak louder than his words. It's a respectful kind of dominance he has over, it, the, over the rest of the competition. And, like, the way he carries himself in, like, these conversations with Takashi and the way he talks, it's like, if you can feel that he's kind of a dick, but he won't outright show it. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I do dig the rivalry he has with Takashi. Like, it's one of the things that really carries the series for me. Yeah, it's, it's, partic yeah, it's particularly good in the first half. And back with Amy, she discovers that Team Satomi has thrown her a surprise party. As in, all the hoopla, Michiru is able to remember that she has a birthday coming up. So she rounded up the entire crew to throw her a party. It's, it's just nice to show that, like, the, the whole team cares about each other. You know, it shows it gets to, like, show that camaraderie among them, which is, like, something that the series really does get over at. Like, they're this, they're this family of racing racers here. Yeah. And also, I do like that in the middle of all this, we do get a flashback to the day Amy met Luca, and it's very cute, you know, finding him as a little kitten out in the rain. And then you just happen to find out he's also cybernetically enhanced, yeah. I guess. Did that, would that be something that would have happened later on, or, like, as she found him? Maybe later on, because, like, 
you know, with the cat food commercial, it's like, okay, he is like a real cat, not like a robot cat. So maybe that's like something to get he got later. Unless he was like some escape experiment thing. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, like get hung up about like the, the cybernetically enhanced cat, but like <laughs> it's it's it, they, they they don't flesh it out at all. No, it's just so like, it's just na- it just nags at the back of my head. No, it's just like he's a cute cat. But now let's get back into the action as the race against Team Valstein is on. As uh, we get a little bit of a pre-race mind games here as uh, Team Satomi bumps into them. And then Cunningham completely sandbags Takashi. You know, Takashi's all like, hey, Cunningham, how's it going, buddy? And he's just all like, not gonna say a word, do you? There's his uh, Team Defender, Du, played here by Lex Lang. And Team Midfielder, Jan Michael, not Vincent, played here by Dave Wittenberg. And also a side note about Team Valstein is that uh, they're only one of two teams in the entire series that have where all the members come from different countries. And so that's another thing about this series is where, like, a lot of the teams, they're all, they all hail from, like, one country. But uh, here, like, no. Du is from Spain, Jan Michael's from France, and Cunningham's from Germany. Not that it's really gonna, like, come up in any meaningful way. <laughs> no, like, you know, unlike Fontaine, these guys don't have accents. I mean, it's, it's just a little thing that, like, informs the teams, you know? Yeah, and I will say it's kind of a... You're, you're not going to find anyone who is, like, some sort of, like, French nationalist or something. <laughs> like, vive la France! Like, f- like f- waving their flag before they race or yeah. anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say it's kind of a... It's a bit of a subtle way to get over the team's strength as, like... Their parent company is powerful enough to bring in top players from all over the world to join right, their team. Right. You know, it's a bit like uh, recruiting in, like, high school and college sports, you know? As the race hits its second lap, the battle round, Cunningham slows down so he can get one-on-one with Takashi. He's, and he's just all like, oh, yeah, going to school, boy, going to school. I do like the very statuesque uh, appearance, though, of Vilstein's mechs, though. They look quite nice. Oh, yeah, like, the best mechs that money can buy. Looking like porcelain and gold. It's very nice. Yeah, very fancy. So, and then, like, after this, like, one-on-one face-off between uh, Takashi and Cunningham, we immediately cut to Team Satomi's mechs all smashed to pieces, as Velstein absolutely fucked them up so hard. And adding insult to injury, it was uh, immediately in the first turn of the second lap, so, like, not even halfway through the race, they just got destroyed. Oh, that poor (laughs) audience just being disappointed. Oh, man, they just... (laughs) They paid all that money to, like, only get, like, what three minutes of a race well then again it does make one wonder like given how fast they go along and given the length of the tracks like how long does a race actually go on for because like, think to actual real world races and how long like those last yeah and like real world like a nascar race will take you like three hours yeah because how many laps are involved in like a nascar race oh depending on the 500 500 or yeah uh. <laughs> so just three laps that's it it's like, they, they, I, I hope they make the best of that time. <laughs> yeah, ho- hopefully they do, like, multiple races in a day. Yeah, let's, let's hope so. Otherwise, you got, like, you know, USFL audiences where there's only, like, ten people in the crowd watching one game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, otherwise the races would be over in, like, 15 minutes. And it's like, oh, thanks for coming out for, <laughs> thanks for taking 15 minutes out of, out of your day, everyone. Thanks for your $500 for your front row seats. <laughs> what, whatever amount of time will fit within a nice 22-minute uh, episode <laughs> of a show. <Yeah. laughs> uh, maybe they balance it out with, like, pre-shows and post-show interviews. <laughs> A three-hour <laughs> pre-show just like for Rus- 15 minutes. <laughs> just like WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> for 15 minutes of actual entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, most of the pre-show is just, like, advertisements. Cat food. Cat food. <laughs> <laughs> 
you get this, you know like this year's WrestleMania, you get the same cat food commercial every five minutes. <laughs> uh, and afterwards, Cunningham then gloats to Takashi, telling him that when they race again, he'll win again and again and again and again until we're both dead. You can't beat him. He's the best. Fuck you, kid. And so, as Team Satomi licks their wounds, they gotta deal with a couple of things. One, Velstein really messed up their mechs. And two, Liz needs to take a break for the next few races here as uh, she's gotta rest up some injuries. Which means, it's River's time to shine. But uh, he's a little pissy as uh, he wants to be forward, not defender. I'm better than Takashi. He's like, but, but then again, it's not like a larger team or anything where like if you get benched or something, it's not too big a deal. He's literally the one guy and he gets benched every time. Yeah, he's the backup pilot here. Just, just in case something happens to like the main three. Is he even getting paid while <laughs> being on the bench? Maybe he gets like a, a backup salary, you know? <laughs> you know, like if you're a backup quarterback in the NFL, you're only making like a million per year while like Tom Brady makes four, 40 million a year. Oh, wham, I'm only making a million a year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm everyone's favorite player on the team because I'm not out there fucking things up. <laughs> uh, careful now. I don't know if River would like to hear that. <laughs> no, but uh, River here, he's like 100% the Jamie Tart of this series. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a bit too prideful. You know, really really knows that he can do more, but he's just never given the chance to prove himself. You know, I'm kind of hoping there was like at least a moment in the series where Takashi just calls River a Muppet and he, and he hopes that he dies of the uncurable condition of being a little bitch. <laughs> but uh, I gotta bring up the, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff on uh, River's character here, according to Jason DeMarco, as uh, his characterization was actually a point of contention between him and Hongo, as Jason wanted River to be... Uh, he wanted his attitude to be a bit more turned up, be a bit more sassy and evil. While Hongo wanted to tone him down a bit, you know, make people see things from his point of view, understand him. Jason wanted, like, outwardly evil, while Hongo wanted uh, a bit more complex. And what we get here is, like, more of a compromise between the two. Mm, yeah, well, I would say it still lent very heavily towards Hongo's vision, I imagine. A little bit, yeah. Because it's like, Reverie, he's not a bad guy, but it's like, you know, he's... He's a lot like Takashi. He has a lot to prove in this world, but like unlike Takashi, like he's he's not being given any kind of chance really. No, like it's it's frustrating. It would be frustrating for like any uh, sports player going through something like that. And yeah, that just and that feels a bit more grounded to me and kind of more interesting. Yeah, but at the same time, you can see like just him just being a general asshole just kind of sneaks out there a little bit here. But like he's still making a point saying that Takashi isn't ready to ready to face a team like Velstein. You know, give him a chance instead. And uh, in another scene, we actually see, like, him and Takashi actually talk a bit more, you know, understand him, like, what makes him tick. And uh, we actually see, know a bit more, like, why both of them race, like, why they join IGPX. As Takashi is a big fan of the racer known as uh, The Rocket, a legendary IGPX racer. While River talks about how, like, his dad used to be a pilot, but he never got to be a lead pilot, so he wants to do something that his dad never got the chance to do. Seeing that and kind of seeing, like, where Jason and Hongo wanted to take the character, I can, I can kind of see, like, what point they're both making, you know? One side is more entertaining, while, like, another side is a bit more, like, you can actually get some more story out of it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it was smart to really come together on that on that choice for the character. Though, honestly, I would have loved to have seen Jason's interpretation of River fully seen, you know? I just wanted to see, the, like, this... Fully evil. This fully evil, <laughs> asshole, MGF-style character right here. <laughs> And, like, oftentimes that can just be a fun approach, you know? Not everyone needs to be, like, a very sympathetic villain. Just just give me an absolute prick and just, like, let, let them go nuts. And meanwhile, the Mexican upgrade, thanks to an old friend of Michiru, is a veteran mechanic named Michi, and now they're all ready to go for their next race here. 
as they're looking to bounce back from the shellacking at the hands of Velstein as they take on Team Edge Raid. What a name. As uh, they're a team from Switzerland that specializes entirely in teamwork because that makes the dream work. Isn't that like every team that like you would want to be though? Like teamwork? If you're working together, you are employing teamwork. <laughs> I mean, some teams have like divas on them who only think of themselves, so you know. They're here, they're like I'm just more. saying the other teams employ teamwork. It's not unique. It's a- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what they say. I'm just copying what they're telling me. <laughs> that's gotta be pretty weak in universe. Like, oh what, your special skills teamwork? Join the fucking club. <laughs> wow. I wonder if we should employ the uh the strategy of teamwork <laughs> next game. You know, during the race you have like a little sidebar of all their stats and it says like special abilities, teamwork. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing specific, just that. No, de- no, like, offense, no defense. No, teamwork. <laughs> Why? Because it makes the dream work. <laughs> and their team's made up of defender Frank Bullitt, played here by Dave Wittenberg, midfielder Bella DeMarco, played here by Stephanie Shea, and forward Bjorn Johansson, played here by Crispin Freeman. Hell yeah, love hearing him in anime. And they're the only other team that has a pet co-pilot like Luca, as they have a dog named Sola, played here by Wendy Lee. And uh, she's also the star of a pet food commercial this dog is here. Now, what advantage does the dog give over the cat inside a mech? That's what makes me wonder. You know, maybe it kind of goes back to the whole cats versus dogs kind of thing, you know? What what are the positives and negatives between a cat and a dog? <laughs> what will this dog that thinks of, uh, that thinks of uh, licking its own ass, like, <laughs> how will that compare to a cat licking its own ass inside, inside a mech? What? How would those two thoughts clash against a human pilot? Maybe Bjorn looks at it as like, okay, this dog will lick her own ass, but then she'll lick me too, so they're more friendly. <laughs> you know, I'm just as love as their own butthole. The cat is more focused, and we need that focus on the battlefield. <laughs> and also the cat is more snarky and willing to like kind of take digs at, her, at his own teammates too. <laughs> and also, by the way, I gotta point it out, Crispin Freeman and Wendy Lee. It's Kion and Haruhi here. Ah, uh, so geez. like, yeah, it, it's it's nice. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this race is cats versus dogs. However, it's gonna be without River, as prior to the race, he up and quit Team Satomi. He's just like, fuck it, I'm out of here. I'm I'm not being wasted anymore by these fucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Good for him. <laughs> yeah, you know, taking 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 control of life by the horns. You know, know your own worth and test the free agent market here. <laughs> you know, don't sign that one year tender. <laughs> So the race is on, and then Bjorn and Sola set their sights on Amy and Luca. And I do like that uh, also during this, like, not only can Amy be the only one to hear Luca, but Luca can also, like, hear Sola, too. Like, they can both communicate with each other. So we just get, like, this cat and dog bickering at each other while they're racing each other. <laughs> and we do see, like, how Team Edge Raid gets their uh, teamwork over as they're perfectly in sync with each other as, like, we see them on the track, like, in a straight line following each other. And uh, one thing I gotta point out about their uh, mechs, uh, I do like that they have a bit of a, they have like a logo on their uh, arm because like a lot of the mechs have like sponsors and logos and theirs has a big old G-I-T-S on it, Ghost in the Shell. Uh, (laughs) uh, I see what you did there. Yeah, and also I think uh, Team Team Satomi has like one logo that says Absolute, as in Absolution, the ship from Tsunami. Oh, possibly. A little bit there. Anyway, they make their move as they fastball special their way to the lead while keeping Satomi at bay with their secret weapon. As uh, their mechs are equipped with near-invisible wires they can use to uh, fling their opponents around. So uh, the only way to stop Edrate is to throw them off their rhythm, and Amy and Luca have just the plan. First, Takashi and Liz fastball special Amy and Luca towards Edrate, 
Then, as Bjorn gets uh, thrown into the air for an attack, Amy does the exact same twisting, spinning, flippy move, disrupting him. And then while Edraid is distracted, Takashi and Liz sneak past the two other pilots, and then they get right into the lead. Bjorn tries to catch up, but it's too late as Takashi and Liz take him out in a cool way, just slamming him into the ground and then just leaving him as they smash him into a pillar. <laughs> and then they cross the finish line and into the winner's circle. And they did it as a team. That's teamwork right there. Fuck you, Edraid. Just better teamwork. Better teamwork. No fancy weapons or anything. You know, 10% better teamwork than them. <laughs> you know, could River be a team player? I don't think so. Anyway, spring has sprung, and it means it's time for the IHPX All-Star Festival. Kind of similar to a bit of a, a real-world sports here with their, like, uh, All-Star games, as they have, like, uh, they often have their players competing in, like, skills competitions, you know, just for fun, to show things off and kind of get the fans involved and whatnot. And there's also, like, uh... One of the competitions is a time attack where they uh, the pilots compete to see who can race around the track the fastest. And there's also like even arm wrestling too, as we see Liz competing that as you just use these mechs to like just arm wrestle. <laughs> I mean, you can't just use these things only for racing. Like, come on, like <laughs> you're like in a giant fighting robot, and like you're thinking like the only thing you can do with it is race. Like, yeah. no, has to do some other fun stuff. Yeah, with do it. do more than just roller derby with them. And also, like, we see that uh, fans can also participate in this by uh, voting for who they think is best pilot. So, even if you win, like, all these other competitions, if the fans love you more, then you can beat everyone else. Popularity contest. There you go. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> and that was actually enough to get people to vote for Takashi over Cunningham, having him win the whole festival right here. Hey, popularity. It's not... It's, it's, it is a contest sometimes. Yeah. And not only is he popular with the fans, but he's getting really popular with Fontaine here as uh, these two, they're starting to get a little get a little close. There's something going on between yeah. them. But uh, that's going to complicate things a bit as uh, Team Totomi is facing off against uh, Team Skylark in the next race. And uh, let's meet her team as uh, we already know Fontaine, but uh, the other players are Defender, My Fair Lady, Eliza Doolittle. I can't believe they named a character like that. <laughs> played here by Michelle Ruff. And Midfielder, Jessica Darlin, played here by Kate Higgins. And they say they're all from France, but only one of them has an accent. <laughs> I would like to know, like, what was that decision? Like, only give Fontaine an accent while everyone else just speaks in their regular voice. You know, like, all French team? Like, it's like, you don't want to, like, pursue that for, like, the other players or something? Or maybe they, like, grew up off, like, the mainland? Or... Maybe. Or maybe they just have it in their family, you know, just a couple of generations away. Yeah. Team Satomi needs this win in order to put them within striking distance of first place in the rankings. As uh, this will get them tied with Sludge Mama, who are in uh, second right now. And also, Takashi... Keep it in your pants. I know, I know you're into Fontaine and all, but uh, you gotta focus on the race right here. But uh, it doesn't help that uh, word is getting out about uh, their relationship between the two. A lot of the tabloids are picking this up, and now Takashi's getting a ton of hate mail from people. <laughs> you know, mostly from all the women that Fontaine's turned gay. <laughs> so Skylar's game plan involves Fontaine always being in front while uh, Jessica and Eliza flank her. You know, they gotta protect their princess right here. Fontaine tends to save up most of her power just until the right time. You know, she plays the long game, and she also masters the uh, the slipstream, which is, like, a thing that you often see in races where, like, you have, you're behind a racer, and then that kind of, like, reduces, like, kind of the wind currents, and then you can move past them and then move forward using that momentum. It's really cool, and I don't know exactly how it works. Yeah. <laughs> but you love to see it. Yeah. If you've seen Talladega Nights, you know how it works. That's the, the slingshot move. So, entering the second lap, Fontaine forgoes her usual plan of waiting it out, and instead gets a sneak attack on Takashi. Uh, no love loss here. So, these two really go at it, you know, really, like, laying into each other with their mechs. Ah, young love. <laughs> That's how you know it's true. Takashi's able to hold up Fontaine long enough for Amy to slip past and finish in first, giving them the win. Meanwhile, uh, Takashi and Fontaine both wipe out, but they're able to cross, be able to, like, 
slide across the finish line with like Takashi's mech embracing her mech too, so it kind of looks like they're hugging. <laughs> and later that night, the two have a moment and they're back to being flirty with each other. Uh, Vontine, she's all like, uh, Takashi, you are, how you say, a spicy boy, mommy. <laughs> and then, like, after this, they kind of do, like, try to set up, like, a bit of a date between the two of them right here. You know, Takashi's trying to, like, think of stuff to do, but, like, it's stuff's getting in the way, and he's just getting a little preoccupied with, like, race stuff. Their, their, their relationship, as we will see down the line, is going to be kind of awkward. A little bit, yeah. But, it, like, at this moment in the series, it's kind of nice seeing, like, you know, this Doric Takashi not really know what it is, what it means to be in a relationship, try to think of some cute date ideas between the two. I mean, I guess they both do have a winner's mentality about them, so I guess that kind of does make them fit together. Yeah, like, she's really, like, into, like, that uh, that drive, that competition that uh, Takashi has. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, while this is happening, we see that Liz may be a little bit jelly about what's going on here. She's certainly weirdly obsessed with them hanging out with each other. Yeah, just like, uh, something, something's weird here. So, like, uh, while they're on their date, they also kind of bump into, like, this uh, this little wiener kid who's, like, a big fan of Takashi. And I gotta bring it up, the fact that uh, this kid, Johnny, played here by Brian Seidel, uh, Jim from Outlaw Star. Uh. <laughs> so, like, yeah, like, when I first heard him, I'm just like, oh, Jim, what are you doing here? Uh, that was a nice little connection. Little nice connection here. And anyway, the trio bond over their love of IGPX, but then Takashi subtly informs Johnny that he's being a bit of a third wheel right here. So like, hey, kiddo, I've got got a good thing going on. Could you kindly piss off? Currently trying to get with this French girl here. Yeah, <laughs> she's going to butter my baguette, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and so in front of a sunset, Takashi makes his move, but it's interrupted by goons. I heard goons. More, they... more like more like IGPX hooligans. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Like, these guys are pretty much, like, who, it's like football hooligans, but for IGPX. <laughs> as they try to attack Takashi and Fontaine, and then they also go after Liz, too. As, you know, they don't, they're big fans of, like, Sledge Mama, and they don't want anyone to, like, be better than them. So we're just gonna beat up the pilots so that their team can win. Bit of a missed opportunity to show off, like, larger hooligan organizations for IGPX. Oh, as man. if that would be a thing. <laughs> oh, man, it'd be great if, like, uh... You know, go back going back to the Valstein race that ended in, like, three minutes. Like, it'd be great if, like, outside of the stadium, you know, the people who couldn't get tickets are, like, watching on a big screen. And then the race ends quickly, and then they all just start rioting because they got, they felt like they got cheated out of a full race. Why does that only seem to, like, why does that only seem to be a phenomenon with, like, football? <laughs> they really love their footy over there in, the, in Europe. You don't fucking see this with, like, tennis or golf or anything like that. Yeah, you see it in, like some pro sports here but it's only when their team wins then they start rioting and destroying the city hockey is the is weirdly the only sport that gets close to that really pretty much <laughs> <laughs> though oftentimes you just see it i mean maybe it's because you know the players can actually fight each other on the ice that everyone gets a little rowdy rowdy <laughs> then again, I guess, I guess I'd be thankful that uh, baseball fans with all those like novelty baseball bats are not throwing, are not trying to kill each other with them. Oh man, free bat night, and everyone just starts like going to the hospital, <laughs> just <laughs> clubbing each other. <laughs> you know, the ump makes a bad call, and then they just start like throwing the bats. Oh, thank God! The... Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> It'd be a nightmare. Uh, but uh, thankfully they're all able to like fight off these hooligans and also uh, Johnny gets the help out too because he sees Liz and, she's, he, and he's able to inform them where Takashi and uh, Fontaine are. So anyway, moving on from that, we get the rematch between Satomi and Sledge Mama. Winner gets Velstein for the championship. Though things are different this time around as River has now joined Team Sledge Mama and he's starting at forward with uh, Yama taking the midfielder position here. Ah, now it's getting spicy. You know, Yama, he's, he sees a lot of anger in that boy. 
And he wants to fuel that anger, you know, use that anger to, like, drive him to beat Takashi and Team Satomi. <laughs> and I will say, they do, like, make sure that this race does have, like, that big fight feel. Not only with the rematch, because it ended in the tie the first time, but also that wild card of River being a part of the opposing team now. And him getting a chance to show, like, is he truly as good as he says he is? Is he better than Takashi? And River, his whole deal, I will say it actually fits better with, like, Sledge Mama. Oh, yeah, he he's got a bit. He's got, like, a bit of a punk thing going on, and that actually fits in quite well with the image of Sledge Mama. You know, this punk kid with, like, his hair covering one side of his face in his, like... Sleeveless, like, orange vest. With, like, no shirt under it, so he can probably, like, poke his chest out a bit. <laughs> <laughs> he's, I think he's now right at home with this team. Oh, yeah. And they're actually willing to put him forward, too. <laughs> you know, Yama sees a lot in this kid, not like his other teammate. You know, employing that kind of a psychological warfare against Satomi, like, it's a good move. So, things are smooth during the first lap, but going into the second, Takashi notices that something is off. As Mark finds out, there's an unknown part inside Takashi's mech, constantly shifting around, you can't really pinpoint where it is. And it turns out he's been sabotaged by an anti-robot nanomech called a worm. So, first goons, now worms. Apparently these hooligans have, like, access to, like, this high-grade anti-mech technology to, like, sabotage the other teams. Did they confirm that it was actually, like, the hooligans that were doing that? Not outright, but it's very much implied. Because, like, yeah, because, like, uh, given what happens later, it's not implied that Sledge Mama had anything to do with that. No. So I think you're supposed to, like, use context clues, you know, the goons, and then this, it feels like they're it trying connects, to sabotage. Yeah. yeah, they're sabotaging Satomi here. So River guns for Takashi, but because of the worm, Takashi can't fight back. River notices this, and he starts to hold back, you know. He wants to be Takashi, but he wants him to be at his best so that he can prove himself. Luckily, Mark's able to get the worm out during the pit stop, and now the real race can begin. As River and Yama double-team Takashi with some sick moves, but Takashi's able to hold them off. And at one point, Takashi and River do, like, the, the Rocky Three Eye of the Tiger clash at one point, the freeze frame. <laughs> Sludge Mom in particular delivers some of, the, some of my more favorite fights in the series. Oh yeah, like... Especially because, like, how intense they are. Fast, brutal, yep, intense. Like, they really do bring a rough edge to their combat. Right, right. That, that is eh, pretty cool. That are team Like, out of all the teams, they're the teams that really love hurting their opponents the most. Like, for everyone else, it's just a formality, you know, all part of the game. But these guys, they just love to, like, lay into everyone. But again, it fits well with, like, their punk status as well. as like a bunch of, like, motorcycle cronies. <laughs> Yeah, like, even looking at Yama's uh, character design, you know he's been to some scraps because he he's got a big scar on his face. Mm -hmm. So the race reaches its climax as Takashi looks to get, get an edge on River. And like, uh, and it also comes in the form of uh, Andre basically going to Takashi, saying like, hey, gonna let a punk-ass kid like River beat you? Come on, step it up. And Takashi's <laughs> all like, yeah, yeah, I gotta step it up. And, and they have a pretty great fight. Yeah, like, they're neck and neck, just like beating the shit out of each other, and then like, going into the final sprint and to the end, it gets like, way too close to call like they have to do a photo finish though i will admit it's it's it's, it's during parts like these of the series when like the fights start getting really fast that uh i just begin to notice a uh, slight disadvantage to the 3d models which is that like for as well designed as they are and as complex as their designs are it can make some of their fights when they like really speed up and like get fast with their punches really disorienting <laughs> where i just can't like tell like which part is like like thrusting or like punching or something it's just it just gets to be like visual overload for me oh like the moments where like they go and kind of like almost they almost look like dbz fights when they way. start moving too fast yeah and they kind of get they got to add like the the motion blur effect on them 
Yeah, I like it. I, I like the combat better when they're like taking their times with their punches or something, or they're like timing them correctly to really like sell the impact and like sell the speed just enough. When they when they start doing the whole like Dragon Ball Z like like fast punching, that's when I'm like, oh my god, slow the fuck yeah. down! <laughs> like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, but uh, in, at times I feel like uh, the DBZ style fights kind of work. Like maybe later on, where like we get wider shots and we can actually see them bouncing all around the track while they're while they're like doing the punches mm -hmm. i guess but it's just something that kind of bothered me with some of the fights okay even though otherwise they they look fine mm -hmm. and also by the way for uh mid-aughts cg not bad not bad it's it's not bad actually often looks better than most cg nowadays in 2022 <laughs> <laughs> yeah in, in some in some areas yeah can does definitely still look better and also, I'm pretty sure that's like a technical thing because animating that with your hand had would be too way way too hard. Yeah, like we're not getting like berserk levels of bad 3D animation. <laughs> <laughs> so Takashi and Team Satomi win by a nose, and everyone is super hyped. And I do love that in the middle of all the cheering, Andre, you know, kind of gets up from like his desk, walks outside, and he kind of does a little uh, little heel click <laughs> to himself. Like I thought that was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing can ruin this moment. Well, here's some more goons, you know, upset that uh, Sledge Mama lost. But then help comes in the form of Sledge Mama as uh, Yama and his crew just beat the shit out of these guys and send them packing. <laughs> reinstating the fact that they have nothing to do with these guys. And, like, if they're going to beat someone, it's going to be on the track, not outside the track. Mm-hmm. They're, they've got a, they're a little bit cool like that. You know, I... Total I, douches, but to, so a little bit cool. I do get a kick out of the, the honorable villain who will only beat you, like... When the rules allow for it. Yeah. So, with this race all said and done, Team Satomi can focus entirely on Velstein. They gotta find a way to overcome the one thing that beat them the last time, and that's Velstein's Indragamano, or Ace of Their Sleeve. As it's an attack that their mechs are specially designed to use, where they discharge a pulse that disrupts the air pressure, creating a huge voltage tornado. Although you look at something like that and you wonder, wait... How would that be legal in a competition like that? Nope, all legal. <laughs> <laughs> so you just use tons of energy in your mech to like produce a big tornado, and it's like, well, like, well, fuck, do you even have enough energy to like finish the race after something like that? Like, it seems like one of those. It seems just way too powerful to like really allow in a competition. They do say it's like one of those things where they can only do it once per race. Otherwise, they would like maybe that's the limiter. Rank. Like, okay, it's allowed, but you can only do it once per race. Yeah, maybe in like the IGPX rulebook, there's like a, a special clause that says like each team is allowed one special maneuver, but only one per race. And this is bad for Team Satomi because if you all have noticed by now, like watching these races far enough, they don't have any special gimmicks for their mechs. Nope, they're just they don't fire projectiles or like have any other extra tricks up their sleeves. No, they're just straight up just brawlers for the most part. The most special thing about them is that they have a cat. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> they're just like the everyman team who just like races by the regular rules. No bells and whistles on their mechs or anything like that. So up against Velstein, that's a big problem. And Andre's advice for overcoming this new move? It's the same advice that Piccolo gave Gohan. Dodge! But it's actually good advice because, like you said, they can only use the attack once per race, so once they get past that, they can move on and not have to worry about it. And so after some training, the rematch with Velstein, the championship race, and the season one finale is upon us. So in the pre-race pep talks, we kind of get a good look at the differences between the team cultures between Velstein and Satomi. You know, Velstein, they're kind of coached in a more militaristic fashion. Like, always standing in attention, always addressing their coach as Sir. And their coach, uh, Sir Homgra, played here by Kim Strauss, you know, he expects and demands perfection from his team. 
While with Team Satomi, Michiru isn't as strict with uh, her team as he is. You know, kind of jokingly gives the, it's not about winning, it's about fun speech, but then turns around and says, like, no, we're here to win. Like, like we'll have fun, but we, we gotta win. Yeah, <laughs> that's the point here. <laughs> you know, bring home a championship and kick Felstein's ass. Anyway, there's been enough talk. It's time for the Season 1 main event. As Felstein makes the first move as they keep things close going into the second lap. And then they use their special move in Dragamano, but Team Satomi is ready for this as they got their own ace up the sleeve. And that is a single-use rocket booster that Mark added to each of their mechs, so just for this one race only, they do have one special thing. And even then, it just amounts to just like a quick little like air booster that just will get them out of the way. Yeah, just get it, It's simple enough to where like it's believable for this team. It's within the budget. Yeah. <laughs> so they all dodge the attack, but uh, Takashi is able to dodge it without using his booster. He saves that to save Amy, so like that... Yeah. Shows that he's gotten better. So during the race, Andre gives Takashi more of an incentive to win. They win this, then he'll introduce Takashi to his hero, the Rocket. I'll get you an autograph, kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll get you a cameo. <laughs> <laughs> and like this is where like the race like really, really ramps up. They're kind of on even playing field right now. And like I, re- I was really getting into this when I was watching this. Because Velstein, they're they're proving that like they're they're not just like a one trick pony or anything. No, like they got here for a reason. Like they're the best. Like they can kick ass. And I do like the shot where, like, Takashi and Cunningham leap off the top of the track in midair and, and like, kind of freeze frame. Like, I, I kind of marked out to that. <laughs> so Takashi tries to stay on the attack, but Cunningham is too fast for him. Andre's able to get Takashi to focus, and then we get, like, a really cool visual scene here where Takashi visualizes his fight with Cunningham as a one-on-one sword duel. They're both, like, in the void, in this, like, black void, outside of their mechs, Takashi fighting with a katana while Cunningham uses a rapier. Like, it's it's cool, and, like, not the only scene... It's a, it's a good way to punctuate the, the last race of this first stretch, first stretch of the series. Yep, and uh, not the last time we see this. Like, we do see this a couple more times throughout the series, and it, it's pretty cool each time. And all of this is interspliced with, like, the uh, kind of DBZ-style fast-moving fights here, so they kind of balance out the disorienting fights with, like, a more visually, like, appealing fight. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And on the final lap, Takashi and Cunningham go into speed mode for one final sprint to the finish. Cunningham! Yes, sir. Stop playing with him. Yes, sir. That's enough for today. Well, it's been real, Takashi. Not so fast, Cunningham! Both Takashi and Cunningham throw their backs into speed mode! Takashi, stay right with it! Astonishing! Hold on! Cunningham doesn't appear to be accelerating! 
Where did Andre go? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not one to make sappy speeches. I just want to say, well, heck, what I mean is, thank you. Who gets the checkered flag? Takashi, by just the skin of his teeth, he just barely crosses the finish line before Cunningham. Gotta use, like, the high-speed camera to really determine that one. Oh, yeah. The winner there. And when you have to do that, you know the race is good. Your winners and new IG1 champions, Team Satomi. Great way to end off the uh, the first season right here with this, like, big finish against, like, the team that is probably, like, their biggest rivals throughout the entire series. All comes to a great finale for this, for this season of the IG1. And afterwards, Cunningham meets up with Takashi and congratulates him, you know, gives him a big hug and tells him that he had a lot of fun out there and that Takashi has finally earned his respect here. Gives uh, Team Satomi a word of advice. Now that they're on top, that title around their waist might as well be a big old target on their back. Don't expect him to lose next time. And also expect everyone to go gunning after you right now. <laughs> and I do like the, the really cute scene later that night, you know, where Takashi's in bed after all the celebrating, just hides under his covers, and then you just see him celebrating under his bed just like yeah i did it yeah <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was nice it's in moments like those that i like Haley, Haley joel osmond quite a bit as uh, takashi like he's he actually does a very good job as takashi and it, it actually makes me surprised that he did not voice lend his voice to more anime at this time i feel he should because like he fit in super well and like he does have like that anime protagonist voice like that natural anime. Yep, voice. young, yep, a young guy. It's it fits well. I mean, granted, it's very samey, but like then again, so were a bunch of other voice actors like him too. <laughs> it's it's a voice that could have been that could have been sold well, and I'm surprised he never really did that with his career. He's in his mid thirties now. Like he can still do that voice. Like he can still play like these young boy protagonists. And he can act with like, and he can act as shown here with Takashi, and even like. Kingdom Hearts 3 Sora. <laughs> <laughs> and also in terms of anime, he can, like, really sell, like, even dumb anime bullshit, too. Yes! Case in point with Kingdom Hearts in this. <laughs> <laughs> He's perfect for that. Like, give him the dumbest sounding lines ever, and he will sell it and make you believe it. Maybe, yeah, maybe he just never wanted to, like, take that career path. Yeah, maybe he just, maybe he's comfortable with, like, like the occasional voice acting and mostly on-camera work. If you're just, if, you're, if your only major voice role, though, is, like, Sora, then yeah. why would you need anything else? <laughs> yeah. With the win secured, Andre has to keep up his end of the bargain, and it's time to meet the Rocket. Andre's got a confession to make. He's the Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> and Takashi gets a little hair boner at the news. <laughs> but yeah, his idol was his coach the entire time, and he expects Takashi to just keep up the good work. Like, I do, I do like the, the reveal here where he's all like, really, are you? <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like a joke at first. Yeah, and he's all like, no, I, I'm the Rocket. I'm Rocket G. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I put on a few pounds here, but, like, I'm still the same rocket. You know, everyone gets old and bloated. It's just part of life. <laughs> It'll happen to you too, kid. <laughs> but, uh, like, Takashi's, like, he's on cloud nine right here. Won the first season of IGPX. He met his idol, who's now his coach, so he's, like, learning under the best. Everything's going all well for Team Satomi. And now it's time to get back to work as they gotta get ready for next season as Team Satomi has a title to defend. We're at the halfway point of IGPX, so we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back with the rest of IGPX, only the summer tsunami on Anime Baby.
IGPX returns in a moment. Well, guys, our big day is finally here. Give it up, Ricky. You'll never beat me out there. We're all in this together, and if we want to be champions, we work as a team. Get out there and destroy them. Sir! Yes, sir! Just focus on winning. Nothing else. I believe it's time to take the gloves off and rip these kids apart. Pizza, Tommy! Let's win! repair. It's kind of creepy. IGPX now continues. Let's rock and roll. Here we go. New teams, new rivalries. Same old Team Satomi. IGPX Season 2 starts Saturday night at 10.30. Only Tsunami on Cartoon Network. And we're back with Season 2 of IGPX. As a new season is upon us, and we've got some changes here. So the IGPX actually follows a similar structure to uh, English soccer leagues in that there is a uh, regulation and promotion system. As in English soccer, there's like eight leagues or levels where at the end of each season, the top teams of each league are promoted to the next level with the highest level being Premier League. However, bottom ranked teams are relegated to the level below them. Here in IGPX, Team Black Egg actually finished dead last in the rankings, so they're relegated to the IG2 League, which means that the team that won the IG2 League can get promoted to IG1 and take their place. And that team is Team White Snow. Forward, Xanax Strauss, played here by Doug Erholtz. Defender, Judy Ballesteros, played here by Megan Hollenshed. And midfielder, Maxine Ehrlich, played here by Mela Lee. And they call their shot as they want to take the IG1 to school. As a, a cold front has come in. Mmm, yes. And things are getting tense as uh, all the teams... Uh, mingle amongst each other at this big like uh, opening season party 
and everyone has all of their eyes set on Team Satomi. Because they're, they're, the, they're, the, they're the champs now. I do like this uh, direction that the series takes in, you know, like, the first half of the series is, you know, the chase, you know, the, the road to the championship, but, like... It's a different attitude, it's a different attitude entirely you have to take to the competition now that you have to defend the championship. Yes, like... In a lot of cases harder. in real sports, that's not entirely possible, and just even way harder than, like, when you actually tried to go for it the first time. Oh, yeah, because, like, there's a lot of, like, compounding factors, like, in real sport where, like, certain players don't come back, like, the team's not the same. And also just generally that added pressure because, like, you're in the spotlight more. You're playing a lot more primetime games. Like, the whole world is watching you. And and, every, and everyone else is analyzing you, too, and trying to figure out ways around your strategies as well. Yes, like, everyone wants to know, like, what their coach is, how they think, you know, what, how, how do they work. And so Team Satomi kicks off the new season with a rematch against Edge Raid. And Edge Raid bait in Satomi, and they take the advantage like, they're even causing dissension amongst uh, the team. You know, they're now doubting their skills, like, wondering, like, how did they even get here? Unfortunately, they run into some more issues during this first race, as their mech's OS system is now shutting down for some reason. Like, they're dealing with, like, a lot of different technical issues on top of, like, their own, like, personal issues amongst each other. And this leaves Takashi wide open to get ping-ponged around by Edge Raid. They're just, like, just... They kind of do, like, the bullying thing where, like, they just surround someone and they're just, like, shoving them around. Yeah, this is not a good look for the returning champions. Thankfully, Luka is able to fix things by connecting to the system and getting things back online. Who's a good kitty? <laughs> this gives Team Satomi the win, but at what cost? The cost of their mechs, that is, as they got really banged up during the race. And there's still the question of, like, who put that bug in their system? You know, what's going on here? And it's at that point they realize, oh, this is going to be a long season, and... Staying on the top is not the same as reaching the top. Mm, no. But yeah, I, I like how they take this direction for the second season, because also another thing is, like, oftentimes, especially with, like, sports anime, like, it usually ends once they win the championship, and also, like, in, like, sports movies, too. Like, once they win, that's it. Like, you don't see what happens to them afterwards. Yeah, it does seem like you never see a lot of, like, storylines tackled where, like, they're actually trying to defend their position as the top dog. Like, that's why I really love pro wrestling, because in pro wrestling, like, there's no off-season or anything like that, so, like... Once someone wins the championship, you then get to follow them as they fight to keep that title. Maybe some writers think it's just not as interesting, which I don't know why they would think that. No, I guess like, there is actual interesting writing in defending your, like, top position. You know, for example, like in AEW, Hangman Page, he wins the AEW world title after just fighting tooth and nail for the past couple of years. But then keeping it is, like, much more harder than it is, you know, battling Adam Cole or, like reaching the point where that he's been, he's just succumbs to the pressure and finally crumbles and loses the CM Punk. Or like Darby Allen when he wins the TNT title, he wears himself out by defending the title each and every week in open challenges to the point where he finally couldn't fight anymore and he loses to Miro. Well, there was one angle too that like a, like a character says at one point too that I think is, that I didn't think about before that's like a fear for this kind of thing too. Is that fear that if you like lose out on it or something then, like, you may end up, like, just being seen as, like, a one-hit wonder or something, or, like, just a flash in the pan. And that, okay, yeah, from a certain standpoint, yeah, I could see that as, like, a legit fear for a sports team. And that does actually happen in sports. Like, you have, you have seen teams that do make it to, like, the big championship, and, like, the next season, they're just immediately dog shit. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, say, like, the Philadelphia Eagles, they win the Super Bowl in 2018. The next few seasons, they are absolute garbage. And now they're just in rebuild mode. It's a demoralizing thought. And yeah, I think they it's a good point that they bring up in the series. 
So Takashi, he looks to be following down that route, really doubting his skills and feeling like if he fucks up here, then that's it. That's it for Team Satomi. And even looking past the system shutdown here, like, he's just also really feeling down on himself. Like, he's now much more critical of his own racing. Like, he just picks apart every little mistake that he does. And it just kind of, like, he just kind of mopes about it, too. Like, it's it's really hitting him hard. Yeah, because now he's thinking, like, oh, maybe I was too soft before. Maybe now I need to get really hard. Like, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to see. And that thought process actually leads to, like, a really great moment where, like, uh, Takashi and Liz have their, have, like, a little sparring session. But then Takashi ends up taking it way too seriously, and he actually almost injures Liz. Like, he kind of stops right before he hits her with, like, his wooden sword. And then she's all like, what the hell, man? You you could have actually hurt me here. Like, what's what's going on with you? Like, he's, he's just coming to that, like, that anger and frustration right there that a lot of championship athletes, like, really feel. That's why, like, Amy and Liz become, like, very important in this stretch of the series, too, to, like, really bring him back down to reality and, like, tell him, like, no, like, you're, like, don't be so hard on yourself. We're gonna figure this out together. You know, we're a team. Teamwork. That's our, that's our thing. But, and also, I did, I did like how Andre put it, where he says that Takashi is at war with himself. Like, that's, I, I dug, I dug that. So, time to see how Team Satomi fares against the newest team in the IG1, Team White Snow. They're much different than any team that they faced up until now as a white snow they're a lot more cerebral they tend to like best their opponents in as little moves as possible and they just know how to like dissect them you know make their move at the right moment with like the most effect and considering where takashi is that mentally he could be easy pickings for them and liz is also not quite there either as uh throughout the series like uh bring it up right now like uh, it turns out that she grew up in an orphanage and that she still keeps in contact with everyone back then but recently that orphanage has been shut down and demolished so like now that's eating away at her as like now she's fighting to like help like save that rebuild it and bring back you know that found family give them their home back yeah it's a it's a rough time for these characters we find out about this because judy and max of white snow tell this to amy as they do some digging on team satomi so they're digging into their own personal histories to get an edge on them right there like really kind of low blow moves right here yeah they're they're really trying to like more than any other team than before like they're really employing like actual psychological warfare against them (laughs) you know it's like wrestlemania 28 chris jericho bringing up cm punk's like drunk father to like get an edge on him in their match like explicitly fucking with them outside of the competition and even at times as we are about to see even just straight up cheating yeah (laughs) so the race is on and team stomi puts a new play into action right here as uh takashi goes high with a diving attack while liz disrupts zanuck with a kick that'll also cover his blind spot but he dodges it perfectly as if he knew it was coming this throws off team satomi which leads white snow to use their exact play against them then white snow uses their secret weapon as their mechs have the ability to hack into enemy mechs and take control of their systems and they use that to like force team satomi to just start fighting each other like they're marionette puppets Ugh, it's ugly and at one point it basically it's like white snow is just grabbing the team satomi mechs and going stop fighting yourself stop fighting yourself i mean stop it, fighting is, yourself. it is exactly just that and they end up forcing Takashi to attack Amy, tearing her mech in half. Like, we never seen destruction to a mech like this throughout the entire series up until now. That's that's some pretty hardcore stuff, right? It's there. like a big nasty. This is like the equivalent of like a, of like a big fireball NASCAR crash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And White Snow get a resounding victory over the reigning champs while Amy is taken to a local medical facility. She's hurt real bad, and she's going to be out of commission for a bit. And then White Snow, the assholes. Have the gall to, like, 
in the winner's circle doing the post-match interviews going all like, oh, uh, we hope Amy's all right. You know, it's a it's a very tough race out there, but I know she'll pull through and we'd, we'd love to race Team Satomi again. We're, it's like you guys are the ones them. who like pulled off the proverb, who like ripped off the proverbial ear here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they're just being a bunch of two-faced creeps, just like being all like, oh, we, we love the sport. We're respectful for everyone. But deep down, they're all like, oh, we're going to fuck you up. Yeah. So, yeah, Team Satomi's pretty screwed right now. Amy's out, the mechs are battered, and Takashi and Liz are at each other's throats right now. And to make matters worse, they may have to forfeit the next race against Velstein since they'll be down a pilot. Or are they? Here I come to save the day. Rocket G is on his way. <laughs> yes, here comes the high-end talent of Andre, as he's going to try to pull a sting in AEW here and prove that age is but a number. Yep, he's going to fit into his old costume and get behind the wheel or the mech for the first time in years. <laughs> though he's a, he's a little rusty, though, and he's also very old and bloated. <laughs> but he's just all like, eh, just a just an actual part of life. I'll get back into it. But I did like the kind of whole, the training, seeing him try to get back into IGPX shape. And it's at least moments in the series of, like, Andre actually having fun and not being, like, the very serious Zen coach here. And he t- even takes, like, TV time to tell, like, Sir Hongra to go fuck himself. <laughs> He and Takshi also have, like, a little talk at one point where he tells him a, a fake sob story about having a wife and daughter who left them and ha- how he hasn't been the same since. And he's all like, nah, I'm just messing with you, kid. Just d- never believe what, what you hear. <laughs> anyway, it's now time for the Rocket to make his return against Team Satomi's Season 1 rivals. And this is technically a rubber match since they split the victories last season. So, how does Andre look in his first race back? Surprisingly well, as he gets to flex some uh, boxing skills during this uh, first race back. <laughs> Nice to see that he has his own distinct style. Yeah, and also I, I did like how uh, Cunningham points out that uh, his boxing style is a bit of a sleight of hand where, like, you go in for the first punch but make it as, like, slow as you possibly can so that the second punch feels, like, much faster than it actually is. Though Takashi's not doing so well, and even Cunningham knows that something's off with him. He may have a trick up his sleeve. So, they go into speed mode. Velstein gives chase. And they all manage to get into, like, a straight line, kind of, like, Olympic bobsledding style. And then Andre makes a sacrifice play where, like, he intentionally crashes his mech and then crashes it into the other two members of Elstein, <laughs> taking them out. Kind of a cheap move, but it works. <laughs> and this leaves only Cunningham and Takashi and Liz. Cunningham finishes first with Takashi and Liz following, but it looks like Velstein just has enough points to win. Or do they? As Andre limps his mech all the way to the finish, giving them enough points to tie. Mmm. Like, that that was actually too, a pretty fun way to end it. Uh, too close. But then, like, after the race, you get a moment where Cunningham's like, what the hell was that? You, you pulled these underhanded tactics after we had a good, clean race last season? <laughs> Screw you, kid. <laughs> Honestly, if it probably wasn't for the fact that he was a kid, he'd probably jump out of his mech and start fist fighting. <laughs> Cunningham seems like the kind of guy who would throw hands when he gets really angry enough. <laughs> you know, he, he can be a cool guy, but he will mess you up. <laughs> Yeah, so they get past this first race, and they only got one more race with Andre before Amy can return. And going into that race, Takashi needs to get his shit together. Andre, he's beating him in kendo during training sessions. Fontaine says they need to take a break for a while. River tells him to stop acting like a little bitch. And then Mark finally just verbally lays into him, just telling him to, like, get it together. And get your shit together. I would have loved for, like, there to be a moment where, like, all the members of Team Satomi kind of have, like, an impromptu intervention with Takashi as they all just start like yelling at him and then Takashi just starts crying there. <laughs> like why would that be cool? Like I, I just think of like this same moment like Fresh Prince where they, they got they gotta show him tough love and then Takashi's all like, 
are you screaming at me? Just <laughs> minding my own damn business trying to race. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, okay, maybe we overdid it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should be a little more understanding. Okay, tough love doesn't work all the time. <laughs> and also we just get a moment where like White Snow punks out Takashi in his own video game, like just to fuck with him. It's like they're even getting into his video game and trolling him yeah. there too. Come on. Come on. And it's like, nah, 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 screw this kid. Like you just gotta browbeat him even in his hobby. Like they would probably just like, if they see him on the street, they would just trip him. Just just for kicks. <laughs> you know, they would have canes just so they can pull sweep his legs in from under him. They would fill his like TF2 server full of bots just to spite him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he just gets headshotted constantly. <laughs> on 2-4. <two> yeah. <laughs> So, match two against Team Skylark. And, like, just adding more pressure to him, just having to face off against the girl he likes, and then just, like, everything with his team, he just starts bailing on team practices and meetings at all at this point. Just, like, his heart is just not into it. And this absence almost cost him a spot in the race, and Michiru was about to bench him for just bailing so much, but finally he just... He realizes that he needs to get his shit together. Like, guys, I'm sorry. Let's go win this race. Though, before that race, he does get hit with quite the bombshell as Fontaine calls off their relationship. When you actually look at their relationship throughout the series, because, like, they do meet up. You, you do actually get to see them throughout the, throughout the middle half, middle part of the series, actually, like, meeting up and being a couple. Yep. Uh, it, it, their, their interactions are uh, kind of dry, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's, the, it's the kind of breakup where you can clearly see it coming from far away. Like, there's not really a whole lot going between them. Ta- Takashi is, like, very aloof in their interactions. Fontaine kind of has to carry the conversation a lot and, like, kind of bring a lot of the fun. Takashi kind of always... It, he, he has his head in the clouds way too much. And like, way like, too focused on the competition, you know? And there's also a moment where, like, Liz goes to confront Takashi, like, while in the while he's in the middle of, like, one of his dates with Fontaine. Then Fontaine sees the both of them together and she's like, I can kind of see that you two have more of a thing here. And you two have more of the rapport here. Like, here's some ice cream for you two to enjoy. Yeah. Like, see in the competition. Au revoir. Though, poor Takashi. Goes that entire relationship, they don't even kiss once. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here lies Takashi, he never got to first base. <laughs> and also we do kind of, like, realize, like, how things are on Fontaine's end, where she kind of realizes that she never really liked him, liked him in that way. She just kind of was more interested in him as, like, a challenger, a competitor, as a rival. Like, that's where, like, her admiration of Takashi comes from. Like, not any kind of love. Yeah, yeah. So there there are some good reasons as to why this relationship did have to come to an end. Yeah, and also I see in a bit of it, because, like, she does explain herself pretty well. All right, Fontaine! You're not going to get anywhere near my princess! <laughs> 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 I should have called you. I'm really sorry. Takashi, that's not all this is about. Huh? You see, I've been thinking about us a lot. We haven't felt right for a while now. I think it's best if we were to break up. 
I'm sorry, Takeshi, but you're not going to change my mind. Come on. We've never even really had an argument. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense, Fontaine! Takashi, here I come! Fontaine! What's going on? Fontaine just gave up her lead to turn around and attack Takashi! Suddenly, it all makes sense to me. I'd rather face you than stand by your side. You're more attractive as a challenger than as a boyfriend. Now I'm going to give this everything I've got. And this time I'm going to make you squeal. They're heading into the final corner! Neither pilot's giving an inch! Who will Lady Luck smile on tonight? <laughs> Said you finally sort out your feelings for him? We know it needed to be done. So, with everything all sorted out, Takashi figuratively and literally lets Fontaine go. And I, I will say that the conclusion to them, like while their relationship was pretty dry, they did end things off in a way that I think is good storytelling. Yeah, I do. I do still think so. Yeah, so it feels a, like a good natural end to the relationship. Yeah, give him a, I'll give him a thumbs up there. And also... And often, like, a lot of these podcasts, we do talk about how these teenage relationships are just kind of, like, weird and kind of off. It's, like, it kind of falls into, like, that category. You know, this one felt like an actual, like, natural end, like, something that would actually, like, go about in real life. Yeah, like, this is, like, a high school couple right here that just kind of feels like we're not fit for each other. Like, it just fizzled out, like, like didn't know what I was really wanting, like, initially. Like, I think they did, I think there was something that, like, genuinely attracted them initially, but then they just realized over time that that wasn't their entire personality. I feel like the pressure may have came from, like, IGPX world kind of pushing them as, like, a power couple. Maybe a little bit, but it still felt like everything was, like, in their hands. Like, there, like, there was no pressure for them to, like, break up or... Oh, yeah, more so, again. more so. Yeah. So, anyway, after this race, Amy's back in action as she's been released from the local medical facility. And I gotta bring up that her doctor, his name is Dr. Bloom, and he's played by Steve Bloom. Uh, it was, like... I don't know if that's I don't know if that's clever or lazy. I don't know. Maybe they did that intentionally. They were just like, oh, okay, he's an extra. What's his name? Ooh, Bloom. Hey, Steve, you got a few minutes? Yeah, you can voice an extra character. Yeah, Come on. just do like a do like a doctor voice right there. 
And also, like, I, I gotta bring up the moment where, like, she earns her spot back from Andre because, like, Andre's all like, wait, no, I'm, I'm not gonna let you just, I'm not just gonna give you back your spot. You gotta prove that you're ready and that she's able to, like, beat a simulation of him, like, in the lead up to the race to prove that she's ready to go. So I thought that was kind of nice. And also, Andre's finally happy that he can truly retire because he's getting too old for this shit. <laughs> he's just like, oh, thank God, I don't have to do a third race. <laughs> I, can, I, I can no longer fit into my outfit right now. I mean, like, how much could it even take out of a person, though? I feel like you could, like, given how safe the mechs are, you could probably be in, like, your 50s or 60s and even pilot them. Maybe, but it's also probably, like, a thing of, like, everything all around you just kind of being, like, a little too much for, like, your mental well-being. Yeah, but why not? The races only last 15 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's a tough 15 minutes. (laughs) You know, it's not like other sports where, like, you really do need stamina for, like, a three-hour race or something. You know, it's not like baseball where you can be, like, not in the best shape and be, like, in your 40s and you can still play. <laughs> or, like, golf where you can be, like, an old grandpa and you can still compete in, like, the PGA Tour. And again, I'm not really a sports guy, though, so I don't, I don't really know what sport out there is, like, one that you can, like, be super geriatric at and still, like, kick absolute ass at in competition. Maybe if you're Tom Brady because, like, the dude's, like, 46 and he looks like he's 21. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking, like, give me a sport that where, like, you can be in your 50s or 60s and still kick ass at the sport. Don't count out Brady. I'm pretty sure you can make it to 50. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. Uh, but meanwhile, Sledge Mom is going through some shit of their own as their boss gave Yama an ultimatum. Win the championship or he's off the team. They don't win their next races. Yama is just uh, he's gonna be going back to the old moisture farms and uh, targeting Womp Rats with his T16 back at home. <laughs> and his uncle won't even let him go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. You think you're so fucking special just for referencing <laughs> Star Wars, don't you? I had to get one in. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Fucking everyone does. <laughs> think you're special? Does everyone reference the Tashi Station line? Yes. <laughs> did Robot Chicken reference it? Then yes. Fucking everybody. <laughs> like. I mean, Robot Chicken. One of the most overhyped fucking, like, adult swim shows. Yes, they did reference it. Yeah, well, fuck them, though. (laughs) (laughs) They think they're so hot shit because their creator loves NFTs, man. (laughs) Well, how's he going to feel when those things are stolen? (laughs) You don't have to keep that in. I was just ribbing you. (laughs) Nah, I like that. (laughs) Anyway, this is a race that both teams need to win and neither can afford to lose. As Sledge Mama is going all out, and they even remove the arms from both Takashi and Luz's mechs. And they actually time that perfectly, as they did that after a caution flag and after the only time you can pit. Which yeah, because you can only pit once and replace one... Is it? No, wait. When you pit, you can only replace one part on one mech per race, right? Yes. So you've only got that one chance right there, and yeah, their chance has officially been blown, and that was the strategy. Like, if you don't take that pit opportunity, you don't have any for the rest of the race. But now it's around here where, like, the the fights in the series actually do start becoming my favorite thing. (laughs) Like, they really ramp things up for, like, the the back half of Season 2 right here. Because in the earlier races, like, they're fine, but it kind of just comes down to, like, whoever can punch the other more. Like who can ever like who can win the race in which order? It's like now they're actually tar- now it's like okay we got those out of the way now let's find some spins on these races let's find a new angle for like some drama in these races let's get some more like strategy and also like some like outside of the race psychology in there like you know bringing in a lot more drama into each of the races right here we've got oh Takashi and Liz both lost and each lost an arm on their mechs how are they gonna win? Yep, and also, Amy, she isn't actually 100%. She actually joined the race against her doctor's wishes. Yeah, so she's not operating at 100% either. And there's, like, even a moment where, like, River goes after her specifically. And I do like that Luca takes the opportunity to say what we're all thinking. 
I never liked River. <laughs> <laughs> and also Sledge Mama, they're actually really getting clever with their grappling arms. Where like they kind of swing their arms and then have like wrap around each of their teammates so that the arm itself can like swing around them and then smack like members of Team Satomi. Mm. Like they get really clever like using like these almost yo-yo like tricks right here. Because Yama's putting everything on the line for this race. This is legitimately my favorite fight in the whole series. It's a really good one and like. Because Yama's just going, like, hog wild. Like, he's got nothing else to lose. Well, actually, he has everything to lose, yeah. <laughs> but he's fighting like he has nothing to lose. And, like, as much as, like, you love seeing Team Satomi, and, like, and of course they're gonna win, but, like, while I'm watching this, I was kind of also pulling for Yama because, like, he's, like, really so intense that I kind of started to, to like, believe in him, too, and, like, I don't want to see him go. Like, he's a really fun character. And behind the scenes, when he's talking with his manager, like, you can also tell his manager doesn't really have any respect for him either, really. No, he, like, he's he's the captain on the track, but outside of the track, he's just, like, just another employee from his boss. Mm-hmm. Takashi gets an idea. He and Liz will fight side by side, making up for the arms they lost. Takashi taking the left, Liz taking the right, and they are fighting as one completely in sync, like that episode of Evangelion. <laughs> Meanwhile, Amy takes out River with a cool move of her own, where, like, River flings her into the air, then she grabs onto the arches of the track, does, like, a bit of a gymnastics move, then swings down, dives into into River with, like, a Finn Balor diving double foot stomp. <laughs> Just like, ah, eat shit, River. And then an awesome moment to, like, finish off the race as we kind of get a bit of a, a sequel to, like, Takashi and Cunningham's, like, final race in Season 1, where we get, like, the visual of, like, both Takashi and Liz fighting Yama, where, like, Yama is, like, He's got, he's brandishing, like, a knife in this, like, visual fight while uh, Takashi and Liz are using, like, their kendo and, like, martial arts skills. Like, it's really cool. <laughs> it is quite cool. And also, of course, Yama, he, he feels like a knife guy. Yeah, he, he does look like he'd pull a knife. You know, yeah, I, I can see him as, like, Vamp from, like, Metal Gear Solid where, like, he licks the Bisexual. blade. Bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> Bisexual Yama, confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> so then Takashi, Liz, and Amy all enter speed mode with, like... Amy carrying them both from behind since, like, Takashi and Liz, they don't have one of their arms, so they can't fully go into speed mode. So they're, like, all of them bunched up together, speed mode, using the momentum created by Slipstream. And it's like, it's like, a, they explained it where it's like, the mechs in front are pulling the, me the mech in the back, while the mech in the back is pushing the mechs in front. So, like, that's how they get their speed. So they look like they're all, so all their mechs just look like they're all just on their butts, scooting, scooting on the carpet yeah, towards the finish line. I would say it's also more like, luge or skeleton in the olympics i mean yeah like it, it does kind of have like the uh, sort of like yeah deluge kind of look to it or something but like to me when whenever the mechs turn into ste speed mode in the series they just look like they're scooting their asses on, <laughs> on the ground yeah <laughs> i'm sorry <sighs> I, I i i hate to say this but when it would have been so much to actually turn have them turn into cars <laughs> <laughs> but whatever that's like that's that's a minor complaint I mean, the only Transformers thing they can get is Peter Cullen. That's that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and they all cross the finish line at the same time, getting the win. And like, yeah, like I said, this was a great race. Like, one of the best of season two. This is my favorite of the series. And afterwards, Takashi apologizes to his teammates for being a butt-ass. And I'll splicey that in. Are you hurt anywhere? You're just gonna lay there all night. I'm sorry. I really am. Mm -hmm. I guess when it comes to winning, I can be a real punk sometimes. I thought as long as we kept winning, I was cool with just being good enough. 
What are you trying to say? Beats the heck out of me. <clears throat> I screwed up. The only race I really cared about winning was the championship. But that's wrong. It's one race at a time. You can thank me for that, right? <clears throat> Here. Thanks, Liz. What's that for? All I did was help you up. I mean, thank you for everything you've done. In the past and the present. Um, yeah, well, that's really... <laughs> you guys are getting along! It's so cute! Uh, yeah, well, I, uh... Hey, what's that? You got some dirt on your back! Let me get that for you, Takashi! Ow! That hurts! You just stand still. I'm trying to be nice here. That's okay. I think you got Daddy, it. come back. I'm not done yet. Ow. No, Ow. it's still dirty. Um, no, Ow. Still Ow. Like a I man think you got it. Oh. There. Now it's oh. a little better. I think I like it when you're nice. And meanwhile, Yama's career is not over just yet. As uh, due to a technicality in a previous race, one of their losses has been stricken from the record books. Therefore, it's a four-way tie for first between Team Satomi, Team Sledge Mama, Team Velstein, and Team White Snow. The championship will be decided in a four-team playoff. And then beginning of next episode, Sledge Mama loses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, really built up the, the the anticipation there. I mean, before that, we kind of got the uh, the All Star Festival again, where like Liz is like being a model. It, it felt way too quick to me, though. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like, uh, as soon as we start the uh, four-team Eliminator playoffs, like, they go up against White Snow, and White Snow just completely demolishes them. <laughs> and then after that, Team Satomi and Velstein have one final race to determine who faces White Snow for the title. And to make things more intense and cool, they do the race during a downpour. <laughs> Rain always makes everything cooler. Would it even really affect the track in this situation? Nope, they explain that they uh, modify each of the mechs so that they can race in the rain. I think it would like add to like some friction on the ground though too. It could, but I guess they did. You just can't do NASCAR in the rain, can you? No, they can't. I mean, because like, because yeah, some of the accoutrement to like that would you would need to like mitigate the rain would probably like be just not allowed. Yeah. Windshield wipers. Wipe, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have that. In a car Is there one design flaw? No windshield wipers. <laughs> well, they don't even have um they don't even have like uh mirrors for your blind spots or anything. I think they do. Not like, see, like, left or right or something out of the car? Uh, actually, no, 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 they don't, you're right. No. <laughs> Leading up right before this race, we actually do get some uh, background on Cunningham and Sir Hongra. As we learn a bit more about Cunningham's life, as he lived a very privileged life, and then once he made it to the top of IGPX, he just kind of found things to be a very boring, you know, he kind of lost his passion for the sport. But then he met Takashi, saw a lot of himself in him, and then realized that this kid can help him reignite his love for IGPX. Like, he wants to make this kid... His rival, and he expects the best out of him to, like, bring the best out of himself. Some nice, quick backstory for him, finally. <laughs> and also, uh, also, quick backstory for Hongra is uh, he and Andre both used to compete in IGPX back in the day, but they had a bit of a tiff. Yes, it's over a lady. And Andre got the girl in the end, and now Hongra swears vengeance on him, all because he couldn't get laid. A bit cliched. <laughs> it is cliched. You know, he's just all like, Rocket, I, I've had enough. You stole my wife. You fucked my crops. I'm taking your life. <laughs> and the IGPX title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
And also this actually reveals that uh, the fake sob story that Andre told Takashi wasn't actually fake. He did have a wife and daughter that did leave him. Mm. So the race is on. It gets really intense. And like, I, do, I gotta point out this one moment in the race because it kind of made me laugh. Where like, at one point, they start doing kind of like a pool chicken fight. Where like, they get on top of like their teammates' shoulders and they start just grappling like that. Where's the strategy in that? <laughs> <laughs> It's like, there's, there's no actual good tactical strategy to that. Not really, because, like, both of you are probably all going to fall down. It's clumsy. Yeah. <laughs> Every chicken fight is clumsy. It really is. I, I never saw the appeal. <laughs> but other than that, compared to, the, like, the other Velstein races, like, they managed to really amp things up to make it truly feel like a final race between the two. Like, this is the BL end-all for, like, this major rivalry in IGPX. And then going into the final lap, they're, like, full-on DBZ fighting. Like, all teammates are just, like ping-ponging each other around the track as they're just, like, kind of almost order order ordering each other. <laughs> and even at one point, I do like that uh, they actually forego speed mode to just keep fighting, like, all the way through, like, the third lap and everything. Like, they're just, like, not letting up. They're just, like, <laughs> battering each other. It's like anarchy in the arena in AEW. <laughs> Only thing that's missing is just having Wild Thing blaring over the sound speakers on repeat. Yeah, it's nice seeing the fight actually last that long, because no one wants to give. Like, and it also shows that you don't have to enter speed mode, it's just kind of more of a formality. Yeah, I was kind of waiting for a sort of, like, twist on that or something. Yeah, but no. The series. Yeah, but no, there's, like, brawling and grappling just even as they cross the finish line, too. <laughs> the race ends with a photo finish, and then, like, everyone, they just all give both teams a standing ovation. Like, that was just a damn good match. And looking at the replay, it's Team Satomi just barely getting the win. Takashi just got, like, the kind of the toe of, like, his mech just over the finish line before Cunningham did. <laughs> and now they'll be facing Team White Snow in the finals. So preparations for the final race are underway. Both teams have two days to get ready. White Snow is going to use their two days just to fuck with Team Satomi. So, so fucking petty. Again, messing with him in the video games, confronting him at his place, like... It wouldn't surprise me if we see Team White Snow just pull, like, crank calls on, like, Takashi and everyone. It's a bit more messed up near the end, because then, like, are they just, like, straight up breaking and entering into the dojo? Yeah, at one point they just break into, like, Takashi's dojo and then challenge him to a fight. Why does no one ever think to just report them? Yeah. This is, like, stalker behavior. They're doing all sorts of, like, illegal moves in and outside of the track. Like, someone needs to, like, I don't know, suspend them or find them. And yet Satomi has that, like, one flaw that, like, that, like some characters in, like, sports fiction think where they're like, we're gonna defeat them fairly, like, even though they cheat. It, it's the, like, fuck that. It's the baby, <laughs> it's the baby face mentality that you see in wrestling where, like, faces can't turn down challenges or else they'll see, be seen as cowards. <laughs> Whereas heels... Even if the, even if the opponent's cheating. It just kills you. It does. <laughs> oh, by the way, I gotta point out this uh, nice little moment where uh, Andre introduces Takashi to his uh, wife and daughter right here, proving that uh, the story he told was actually true. See, I wasn't lying. Someone did actually love me up there. Yeah, Takashi, I actually got laid. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the fruit of my loom right here. <laughs> Which, by the way, his daughter, played by a young Christina Valenzuela. Hey, nice. Yeah, it would have been one of her earliest anime roles back in uh, 2006. Oh, Interesting. Also, just kind of a nice moment to show that uh, Takashi and Team Satomi have have had like a positive influence on Andre's life to the point where like his wife and daughter are willing to like give him another chance to be a family again. And his wife is even like, "You helped fix up my husband." Now his sex drive is much better than before. <laughs> you saved our marriage. 
<laughs> you know, Takashi doing... It's a little hokey. You know, Takashi doing what Gene and Jim said they would do in uh, Outlaw Star, fixed fix relationships. <laughs> Another bit of voice acting trivia I just gotta bring up here, like, uh, after this, we see Takashi go to, like, a hot dog vendor, because he loves hot dogs, and the vendor, you know, this guy with an eye patch, he's actually voiced by Jason DeMarco. Oh, nice. You know, just him going around like, hey, I love you, Takashi. I'm a big fan. Give me an autograph. Hey, for a, for a first, like, original production like this, like, why not? Yeah, it'd be, be a little cameo where you can have a scene with, like, Haley Joel Osment. Enjoy it. Anyway, like, uh, back to, like, that uh, breaking and enter- entering right here. <laughs> like, uh, one thing I do like about this is, like, uh, Zanuck, he challenges Takashi to a fight. And, like, even though, like, uh, their kendo duel isn't literally on par of, like, say, Taiga and Sumire from Toradora. It's still kind of fun right here, and also it's even more fun if you ever wanted to hear Sora call someone a punk bitch. (laughs) Though if you want to hear him swear more, watch Silicon Valley. (laughs) Yeah, quite enjoyable around there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You can make all the Kingdom Hearts jokes you want. Oh, yeah. Anyway, before leaving, Zanuck leaves Takashi with a warning, as uh, White Snow has something special for them during this race. So these punks aren't going to fight fair, and Team Satomi has to be ready for anything. They can't afford to get flustered right here. So, it looks like there's been enough talk. It's time for the main event! Game plan. Watch out for Max, as she's a high-level computer programmer that has even been building her own OS systems ever since she was four, and even hacked into government defense networks when she was seven. <laughs> so, like, she's that good. <laughs> she's a super hacker. Yeah. She she works she hacks into world into world government systems. She's just like the movie War Games. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one no one ever can just say like, oh, they're a hacker. They they like freaked phones or something in the nineties. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, it's always gotta be fucking with the government, which no, I approve, it's, but it's like, just so. like in the real world, hacking is very like just simple like that. It's just like simple like hoodlum stuff. I kinda miss I kinda miss like that kind of like type of hacking though. Like that's not that's a type of hack that's a side of hacking that isn't like talked enough about. That's why, I like, that's why, I like, a series like, in, like, like, uh, Infinity Train, where, like, they actually reference something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, it's like revealed around this point where, like, the team figures out that Max is the one that's been messing with their uh, Max systems throughout the entire season, right here, because he's been just hacking into them and just like looking into their files, stealing all their information, and just generally shutting down their Max. So now they're gonna have to look out for that for this race. Though, on the plus side, they don't have to deal with, like, the that Puppet Master technique, as uh, that's been banned by the IGPX League. <laughs> Rightfully so. Rightfully so. But only that, though. Everything else is fine. <laughs> so, Luka has a plan to combat Max's hacking, as he wants Takashi to mix his brainwaves with him. So now, Takashi can communicate with Luka, and then Luka has made this interface that, ki- that looks exactly like the video game that Takashi's been playing throughout the entire series. <laughs> and this leads to a battle between cute chibi game avatars right here <laughs> where Takashi stops Max by punching like uh, her mini bear avatar repeatedly in the nose and that's enough to like block her hacking. Given how much they showed Takashi playing that video game in the series like it feels appropriate to like bring in for this um, little like hacking segment yeah. to visualize that since like real world, real, real world hacking is very boring. Like in here like Luca points out that it only took like a couple of seconds whereas like it took a few minutes to like Takashi. You always got to find a way to make hacking look way more interesting than it actually is. Yeah, and and also it is a nice payoff to him like playing that video game throughout the entire series. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but uh White and Snow, they have more tricks up their sleeve as they go into the second lap. And uh that's mirroring Team Satomi's moves, bit of a uh, bender f- fighting Flexo in Futurama, <laughs> just like, eh, 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 eh. So they gotta use some new moves, as it looks like Max has uh, programmed an algorithm to perfectly match Satomi's attacks. And then this is followed up by their secret weapon, 
one that I have to know how is this legal, Operation Snowman, where White Snow combine all their mechs into this large behemoth mechanical monstrosity designed to prevent other teams from passing them, complete with like a ton of extendo arms. Okay, now I want to talk about this for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> like this final boss monster right here? <laughs> yes, I want to talk about this. This is the grand finale for the series. This is what the, our heroes have to defeat if they want to like take it all. A giant combined mech. Okay, one, the, the first one I'll bring up is, why was this not a thing to begin with in the series? Where all the mechs could combine together for like one giant like suicide move? Because it, it, conceptually it is cool. It is cool. And it kind of does look cool visually. Although I will say, it, it kind of ramps up the problem I had early in the series where, like, some of the mechs, like, look a little too complex in parts or something. Or, like, they're moving fast enough in scenes to where, like, you can't really appreciate the designs too well enough. Th this this giant mech thing looks a little over-designed. It's a little busy. It, it looks way too busy, in my opinion. It, it lot Way too many moving parts. A lot of, like, moving tentacles. Like, it, it all meshes together into... Honestly, kind of an ugly visage. <laughs> and with the lighting, too, because it's also this entire final fight is set against like a sunset. Yes, so there's like a lot of shadows on the track. And it does not complement this mech design very well at all, this giant combined mech. Could that be like a real world technical thing where like they kind of want to hide some of the imperfections of the mech? So the whole thing like looks kind of like ugly, in my opinion. <laughs> but there's also the other, the other angle that like. Well, as I said before, like this conceptually, this is something cool that could have been in the series to begin with. Like a strategy you could have implemented. Like, hey, combine all your mechs together. That way, you can trash the competition quickly or something, and then like disconnect or something. But then it, re it comes into the problem of like, how is this legal yeah. within the competition? <laughs> like making the you're making your giant fighting robots into an even more giant fighting robot. Like, didn't you just get reprimanded and have one of your moves banned? <laughs> Why are you now doing resorting to this and risking another banning? Maybe it's like one of those like un unwritten rules where like people don't do this because like, well, it'd be unfair, but like we're not going to put it in, into the rule book because everyone should know that. Like, should then, the race be like be putting to a halt right now, being all like with the with the the proctors or some, or whatever, being all like stop, stop, like we got to address this. Yeah, we got to call in the commissioner of IGPX. <laughs> we got to find out first if this is legal. Like, come on. Nothing in the rule book says you can combine all three mechs into a giant fighting robot. <laughs> Just like how there's nothing in the rule book that that say a cat and a dog can pilot mechs. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, the, the, this whole final fight raises, like, quite a few questions. Uh, kind of cool in a sense, but, like, also just a, a little a little too ridiculous to pull at this point in the series. It's one of those things that the uh, the people working on it just hope you don't... You just get sucked into the moment and you don't ask too many questions. Right, just, just, just look at, like, it's... Just focus on how cool it is that these mechs, like, finally combine to each other. Let's try not to think too hard about and it. And enjoy folks. the fact that this is probably something that Haley Jalosman is used to fighting in his life. <laughs> <laughs> though, I got... Though, just thinking about it now, wouldn't, like, a kayfabe reason be, like, say, Max thought of, of this? Because, like, she's the brains of the operation, so maybe, like, she found a way to, like combine the mechs in a perfect way that doesn't compromise like their momentum or their strength or anything like that right that would be something to address but like they don't really talk about that no like if they only had a few more minutes like maybe they could have said something like that 
Yeah, no. The, the, this is very clearly one of those, like, turn-off-your-brain kind of moments. Robots combined to, with each other, it's cool, don't think about it. Yeah. Also, she's a young kid, kids think robots is cool, so of course she would think giant robot. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, yeah, here's Haley Joel Osment versus the Trinity armor here. <laughs> the guard armor, <laughs> <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> you know, just gotta smash each of its limbs until there's nothing left. <laughs> get some hp orbs off of it <laughs> yeah and then afterwards a big giant fuck off heart flies into the air <laughs> uh but uh that being said i do think this is actually a really fun battle yeah like the, the effect is still like there like it's still cool in the end like, like their fight like three all, like three of our fighters are like having to face off against this giant combined mech that's still aesthetically cool yeah and it leads to a, like a really good finish where like they have to you they each have to use their speed to their advantage because White Snow, their giant robot. It's big, but it's also very lumbering, so, like, Team Satomi, they can, like, maneuver around each of the extendo arms, too. Hey, Mark. You reinforced our mechs last week, right? Yep, I sure did. Do it, man. I think I know what you have in mind. Right on! get kind of muddy a little bit here they do i feel like they do kind of go all out out with it in certain ways especially with the uh, the 2d animated sequence where like they do one more 
Black Void visualized scene where it's like Takashi, Liz, and Amy all diving past like all the, the extended arms going straight for Max. I still, think, I still think it gets across well, like, the point of, like, you know, even though uh, White Snow is all, is in in, an idea, in a sense, all combined and working together here, it's Team Satomi that is apart, but still implementing way better teamwork. Like, I still think that point gets across pretty well. Yeah, especially considering, like, at one point, Max takes full control of the robot and away from, like, her teammates. Yes. So, Team Satomi fights their way back against White Snow, and everyone goes into speed mode. And then Team Satomi crosses the finish line, avenging their earlier loss and earning their second championship in a row. Much more graceful in victory than White Snow would have been, though. Pardon me, wish they took the opportunity to just gloat in front of these assholes right here. <laughs> just like, oh, what's this? A trophy. But oh, where's yours? Oh, wait, it's here because it's ours and not yours because you're losers. <laughs> <laughs> and just all flipping them off and just like thrusting in front of them like, yeah. White Snow kind of deserves that at this point. You know, just pay him back for being jackasses throughout the entire season. But no, Team Satomi are the are the uh, the sporting types. You know, when they go low, we go high, that sort of thing. Just like, come on, just, just a little gloating. Come on, you've earned it. You're two-time champions. And, despite many more bumps in the road, another IGPX season has come to a close. And then Takashi starts to realize something about his relationship with Liz. Sorry, I didn't mean to impose on you or anything. Whatever, man. I'm here, right? So you're gonna tell me what you want? You must have really screwed up if you're this tongue-tied. No. It's nothing like that. Well, if you got something to say, then just spit it out already, you big wuss! I... I wanted to know if you'd go out with me! I'm trying to ask you out on a date, Liz! I'm uh. thinking! I heard what you said, I'm not deaf. Confucius said, it's shameful for a person's actions not to match their words. Does that mean yes? No, that means yes. Takashi confesses his feelings to Liz, and the two officially hook up right here. Even kiss. And, yeah, this moment feels actually kind of earned. It does. Because, like, we, okay, we didn't talk about it very much in this, but, like, but Liz is often there for Takashi in the series when he's, like, feeling low, and knows how to bring him back down to reality. And they've demonstrated a good rapport in the series. Yeah, like, she's his moral compass. Like, without Liz, Takashi probably would have, like, floundered in the season of IGPX. And sure, they get on each other's nerves quite a bit, you know, but that, that, therein lies um, their mutual respect for each other. I feel like, you know, it's kind of like the thing, if you're willing to argue with something, it shows that, like, it shows how much you kind of care about them in a way. Mm -hmm. Though, funnily enough, this whole uh, angle between Takashi and Liz was actually something the uh, Toonami crew and Hongo actually butted heads over. 
as Jason and the Toonami crew were pushing for that relationship between Takashi and Liz, and uh, they actually wanted more of a connection between the two earlier on, because it's not until the second season where we started to fe- get more of that build up towards the relationship. Uh, yeah, I could understand that from one angle, wanting to build that up more and actually like tease it out more in the first season. Yeah, the reason why they couldn't tease it out in the first season is because uh, Hongo didn't actually want to do it at all. He didn't want them to hook up in the end. Mm, on that and that from that angle i can also see that as well like in a sense you don't technically need it for the series the plot wouldn't really lose anything if like you did not have them get together yeah but i feel like with with the the tsunami crew they felt like it would have been a nice moment and like had they been able to like do the plan as they wanted to you know have that build up throughout both seasons then it probably would have ended up be like a bit more better Mm mm-hmm but uh, in the for end, what for what it is, I think it's fine. It's fine, you know, even though this is a bit of a compromise, and like they even do admit that they like they try to telegraph it as much as they could, but they're still kind of bombarded with people say who watch the series for the first time and say like, "Oh, really? They hook up? Like, oh, that's weird." But it's like, yeah, I can kind of get that, but at the same time, like I agree that Takachi and Liz do work really well together, and like I totally do buy them as a couple. Yeah, you can see it happening. IGPX comes to a close with Takashi announcing his and Liz's relationship, and then Liz just kind of judo throws him when he tries to act all cool being all like yeah i'm not letting you go baby and then everyone having a good laugh as they look forward to the next season which did not happen <laughs> no the end end of series right here <laughs> you know come up with your own uh third season of igpx maybe team satomi gets uh, they lose and they end up getting relegated like ted lasso <laughs> <laughs> but yes curtain down final thoughts IG, uh, IGPX, Immortal Grand Prix, um, I'm in, in some ways it's better than, it's better than I expected, but like, also, uh, still, this is honestly still kind of a very mid-tier anime for me, (laughs) despite all the effort, cause like, cause like, I will say, this series does look quite good in parts, like, when it counts, especially in like the 2D animation, and at times for the 3D animation, I do think the series can actually look quite fine. The characters are likable enough, the fights are entertaining, uh, especially given this is all just like one big made-up sport. I still think they make it work uh, pretty well. They make this world feel just believable enough. But at the same time, I guess my problem with it is that like it doesn't take enough chances or anything, or like it doesn't do anything that like it, it didn't do any one thing that like seriously wowed me or like elevated this above to like other sports series. Because even in between, like, the fights or something, when you actually see the characters and their personal lives and, like, uh, how they interact with each other. I mean, fuck, we didn't even, like, talk about, like, the other, like, pit crew members or something, like, the mechanic or, like, the secretary. Because, honestly, they don't go anywhere by the end of the series. Yeah, there's, like, I did skim over it, but there is, like, actually a brief subplot between uh, Mark and Michiru or, like, uh, Mark. He actually actually comes from, like, a very well-off family who owns, like, a big, uh, big company. And that company is actually kind of secretly helping fund Team Satomi, and Michiru kind of feels like she doesn't need that help. She wants to really prove herself. It's only brief, but it's like, ah, oh, there's there's something there that you could have gone further with. But it doesn't go anywhere. No. Like, but it, in that, in like, like, it just doesn't go anywhere, and it's like, it's, it's small things like that that just don't elevate the series for me, where it's like, a, a lot of parts of this world, and even in some of the side characters... They feel like they could have been fleshed out with more, fleshed out more, or like given way more pathos. But in general, you still only care just about like uh, the, the drivers and like what they're going through. And and some of what they go through is pretty strong, but it's those supporting elements around those characters that like where they just play kind of safe or like they don't 
play with it well enough. Like, even with, like, the coach lady, like, you could have done more with, like, some of the things around here, okay? Yeah, like, especially with Michiru, I feel like they could have done, like, a lot more with, like, with her angle of, like, being a young manager, earning this team from her, like, grandfather's company and trying to, like, prove herself a bit more. Yeah, but that's something that's gotten over, like, pretty quickly as well. Yeah, like, I feel like, you know, compared to, like, Ted Lasso again, like, you could have done, like, similar to, like, how they did that in that series where, like, their manager is, like, someone who kind of fell into this role and is trying to, like, really prove her worth as, like, being, like, worthy of, like, owning this team. Yeah, no, but, like, it, it, it's moments, it's it's elements like those of the series that kind of bring it down to me and make it just, like, overall across the board kind of mediocre. <laughs> like, like this is, a, this is a very capital A average anime for me. <laughs> even for me, too, who, like, just doesn't normally watch, like, many sports anime. Even I'm all, like, I, I can watch something like Megalobox and feel way more pathos and emotions towards something like that. With IGPX, it's like, yeah, it's it's baseline good, but, like, it's it's just okay. Like, there's not much more I can say beyond that. Like, this is, like, this is that one series that, like, we've watched so far in our summer series where I can definitively say, like, I can understand why this didn't, like, pick up in popularity with other people. Because it's, like, it, it, it just kind of settles for being, like, an okay series, in my opinion. It's definitely one of those uh, niche animes where, like, it, yeah, ha it, it has, it, like, its fan... It has its really dedicated fan base. Yeah, it is small. quite niche, but I think it, I think it's niche because of, like, some... Because of, like, some actual flaws. Not because it's, like, any one small thing that, like, something someone is going to get into. I do think there are some lesser qualities to it overall that kind of bring it down. Not so much that it's, like, something that only a certain subset of people are going to like because those base elements are good. No, I think there are some, like, honestly weak elements to the series that do kind of bring it down. Yeah, there's, like, a lot, like, I agree there is some, like, weaker aspects of the show, but uh, I'm more positive on this series. I feel it's a... I quite enjoyed this, but, like, yeah, there's, like, a lot of weaker elements, but I feel like if you can just, like, manage to get past those, you're still in for a fun time with the series. I do really like the show. I feel like it, it is a bit underrated. I feel more people should, like, give it more of a watch, give it some more credit in some places, though. In other places, there's some mistakes, and it's, like, that could be the product of, like, you know, two different sides working working with community, you know, like a Western studio and, a, and an Eastern studio trying to, like, combine their own ideas and, like, their and yet, own storytelling methods. And, yeah, that clash does, like, you do get a sense for that when you watch this series. Like, I brought it up, like, the whole Liz and Takashi angle and the whole Rivers characterization, like, that was, like, a lot of the stuff that they butted heads on that they talk about. Like, there's probably, like, some other elements of the series that they probably butted head heads over that they don't talk about. Despite all of that, I quite enjoyed that. It's a fun racing anime. You know, I don't really watch much racing anime because I don't think there's a whole lot there that I kind of like. <laughs> uh, and a very easy watch. Like, I, I found, often find, find myself watching, like, almost, like, five, six episodes at a time. I mean, it's a breezy podcast. watch. I'll give it that. Yeah, and, like, I will say I would love for more people to give this a chance. You know, whether you end up loving it or hating it, I would say give IGPX a shot, you know, especially if you do like sports anime you can get into like the sports anime bs and stuff like that too i will say at least don't forget it yeah like don't don't for, don't forget that this was like the first like toonami original production here like recognize it for what it is and try to judge it on those merits yeah like don't sweep it under the rug but yeah i will admit it's not one that will stick in your that will really stick in your craw though mm -hmm. like there's there's nothing inherently awful about it. Yeah, but th there's definitely better sports anime out there. Yeah, I mean, we covered some better sports anime here in Ice and all that. Yeah. <laughs> but no, if you like sports anime, give it a try. You know, Corey, friend, 
You, you, you do the Taiku podcast. IGPX episode when? Come on, buddy. Do it. I'll join you if you want. <laughs> <laughs> if you can shut your brain off for, like, race car robots, then, like, yeah, you might find some fun. In yeah, it's series. definitely a popcorn anime. And also, like, uh, very good looking show. Expect, expect nothing less from uh, Production IG. Yeah, a lot better looking than I expected it to be. Yeah, especially for, like... The animators actually really pulled through and, like, could make some, like, very pretty scenes. Especially for, like, a 2005-2006 anime. Like, it's honestly much more fluid than a lot of stuff we get today. I mean, I, I won't say, like, the 3D animation That's, is, like, the best thing ever. No, good for the time. But there's some, like, legitimately impressive 2D animation in the series that actually surprised me. Yeah, like, use of rotoscoping and all that. And also, like, uh, voice cast, like, English dub. It's it's great. There's also the novelty of hearing some of these, like, more famous actors that don't do anime being an anime. Yeah, there's a good novelty, novelty to that as well. I mean, personally, I didn't think, like too much of a lot of these voices, partly because I've heard, like, a lot of them elsewhere already today. Oh yeah, like, I heard a lot of them elsewhere too. But like, like, this voice cast is not going to uh, impress a modern audience. No, but like, like, depending on when you hear them, like, if it's like a TV show, like a Rick and Morty or whatever, this is like normal, but for like an anime where like, the best you can get are local LA and Texas actors, like, this is actually a big deal. Like, I, it, it can feel like a breath of fresh air to some people, I, I could say. And, uh, and also, like, I felt uh, writing-wise, they could have tightened up a few a few things here and there. You know, Takshi's love life and everything like that, and also mm. certain characters. Yeah, there's some, like, yeah, there's even some tweaks to, like, the main character writing that could be improved as well. Mm -hmm. And also, I wish they went further with some of the teams, like, mainly their gimmicks and characterization. Like, I kind of wanted a lot of these more cartoonier teams, you know, like, like Sludge Mama or Edge Raid to be even more over the top. Like, Ed, like Sludge Mama, they do get pretty over the top, and even White Snow, but, like, the rest of the teams, I'm just like, come on, get get fun, get silly, get, we're, we're having a fun racing anime here. Yeah, why not? You know, do, give me, like, new generation era wrestling gimmicks right here. Like, we're all in giant racing robots, folks. Let's have a bit more fun with it. You know, can you afford to have, like, one team that's made up of, like, I don't know, businessmen or garbage men or whatever? Like, just have fun <laughs> with it. I, th I, th no, I think the style of the series was that they wanted to play it a little more realistic, and I think that's fine. Yeah. And that's, like, a stylistic choice. I'm okay with that. Yeah, and it could be a thing for, like, their first outing. They don't want to go too far with it, with, mm. like, original anime. Yeah. But overall, I'd say check it out on your own time, if you ever get the chance to. Yeah, a, a nice solid uh, middle-of-the-way thumbs-up. Yeah. Like, not quite up, not quite down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, watch it, form your own opinion on it. But I would say... Not a bad first outing for Toonami original programming. No, not bad. Not bad entirely. Yeah, it could have been. It could have been way worse. But like, no, they they actually yeah. pulled through and put out some decent quality. It could have been Black Lotus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we didn't. That that was not the first. So let's be thankful for that. Yeah, and thankfully IGBX never got into NFTs because those weren't their thing at the time. <laughs> so thank you all for listening. I've been your host Mikey. You can find me at my social medias, Mikey Shota on Twitter. MikeyShota.tumble.com and MikeyShota on the gram. Where can you find you, buddy? You can find me at 2Bits on Twitter and WolfishGrin on Tumblr. Follow AnimeBaby on Twitter at Anime underscore Baby. That's Anime underscore B-A-Y, B-A-Y. And also follow the show at AnimeBaby.podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And next time, Summer Tsunami continues as we're shaking things up a bit. You know, Tsunami may be known for its anime. You know, we may be known for covering anime on this podcast for Anime Baby, after all. But uh, for Toonami, they're not an anime-exclusive block. That's kind of a that's kind of a thing that people tend to get wrong over the years, and even in recent years. They are, and always will be, an 
action cartoon block, keyword being cartoon, which means they're not restricted to anime, and neither are we this summer, as <laughs> next time, we're gonna, you know, like last year when we start, when we did our first subbed anime, we're, uh, we're opening the forbidden door, as it were, to covering our first non-anime cartoon on the podcast. Yes! <laughs> I've been waiting for this. I shall be unleashed. <laughs> My chains will be broken. <laughs> it's a, it's an episode that you'll be taking the reins for. Like, I'll, I'll be in the back seat for this one, uh, along for the ride. Yes, because next episode for Anime Bebe, we will be stepping outside of our comfort zone and using this uh, Summer of Toonami as an excuse, <laughs> a wonderful excuse, <laughs> to review our very first American cartoon. <laughs> we will be going back, back to the past, with Samurai Jack Season 5. Oh, yes. Produced exclusively for Adult Swim and aired on Toonami. <laughs> Finally ending the story of the samurai they call Jack. Yes. And in that episode, we will regale you with the uh, fascinating story of its creator, Gendy Tartakovsky, the long road it came to get to Samurai Jack, and the even longer road it, it took to get to its final season. And um, just and we and I am so freaking excited for it. Oh yeah, like Samurai Jack is one of my favorite like anything <laughs> of all time. Favorite an cartoon, animated series, like television show. Like, I just, oh, I fucking love it. And I and I love the works of Gendy, too, so. Oh, yeah, like. I, I'm so happy that I will be uh, taking the writing reins for that episode. And even the uh, editing reins as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, maybe we may not be alone, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we shall see next episode for Samurai Jack Season 5. Until next time. Stay safe out there, get vaxxed, get boosted, wear a mask, black lives matter, trans rights are human rights, stop Asian hate, abortion rights are human rights, and try and make it a good year. As this has been... Anime, baby!
kid. I saw you last race. You're turning into one hell of a good pilot. Guess one of these days I gotta get your autograph. Anything for you, man. Hehe. <laughs>